Won't you listen to me? I want you to see. I'm dying to set you free. Cause when you open your eyes, you realize that there's so much more to be seen. Just give me some time to blow your mind. I want you to see what I see. frequency has been determined to be nearly the precise center of the entire electromagnetic color spectrum. There's only one number, only one number in the entire numbering system, whereby the electromagnetic color spectrum is the same as the sound system. That one number is 528 both the same in color and sound, 5 to 8 hertz frequency. A miraculous key that opened doors that no man can close and closed doors that no man can open, 528. It will change your life in the most beneficial way. And now we have substantive evidence, massive amounts of evidence 
that that is what 528 is. Ultimately, what has happened with this planet is that we are in dissonance to another note, another frequency. It turned out that when we discovered the original musical scale, there was not just six, but a total of nine core creative frequencies to the universe. That is, everything in the universe is made from nine notes, only nine. And that the first six are the sofeggio, and then there's three additional ones that form a perfect circle of sound. And that perfect circle of sound looks something like this. If you graph it. So the first six notes, three, nine, six, four, one, seven, five, two, eight, six, three, nine, seven, four, one, eight, five, two, was the original solfeggio scale. The five, two, eight that you can see on my left in green is the color green. It's the heart of the rainbow. That's the miracle note from the original solfeggio note, from the original solfeggio scale. And the other note that you see, seven, four, one, which is part of nature, is called the devil's interval in musicology. That when you play 741 with 528, it creates such an annoying and dissonant energy, diseasing, stressful, that if you continue to listen to it, you could die. And so that the concept here is interesting. In the world today, we have people who are controlling virtually everything economically, geopolitically. Their agenda has been population manipulation, population control for millennia. They have held the secret knowledge, the ancient music, by which the pyramids were constructed based on the math. All of the universe is constructed according to these nine tones. They knew about them. In fact, they instituted, in fact, it was the Rockefeller Foundation in 1939 that instituted the world's standard tuning. The Western world tunes to A440 Hertz frequency. That when you tune your instrument to that, the F sharp note is 741, precisely. The a440 is what now is the standard tuning. If you go A439, you're closer to one of the creator's tones. If you go A441, you're closer to one of the creator's original tones. That's how precisely it has been manipulated. To do what? To shut down the 95% of your brain particularly the right brain that operates the heart-mind for the divine human community. Here is a metaphor so that you begin to understand what we're talking about. When you go driving your car and your channel on the radio is tuned to a station and you're grooving to the music, you love that music, as you get farther and farther away from the broadcasting tower, that music gets static. You start to lose the signal from the clear channel, broad class, and it gets staticky. When it gets staticky, you get a little annoyed. But you want to listen to it. You really have a heart for that music. So you continue to listen to it for another 10, 15 miles, and suddenly it becomes so annoying that you just get disgusted. You go, ah, and you shut it off. And if you continue to listen to it, you get sick. 
That's what we're talking about here. Except you don't even know that you've been listening to the static your whole life. You don't even know what the true resonant frequency is because it has been kept from you. So in other words, the master composer, master conductor of the Universal Orchestra is singing love songs in 528, uplifting everything simultaneously. And we're the only species out of tune and accepting static for the clear channel. Dr. Masaru Emoto, he goes up on stage and he has a, a triangular, you know, a musical triangle that he hits, in, like in an orchestra. He's hitting it over here, he hits it, bing, and about 30 yards or 30 feet away is his interpreter standing here with the same exact a replica of that same size triangle. Frequency tuned, the same frequency. And he tells his interpreter to put a microphone next to it. And suddenly this one starts to resonate. He hits that one over there. This one starts resonating. How much of your body is full of water? They used to say when I was at Harvard School of Public Health, the truth was back then about 86%, 85%, 86% of your body, well hydrated, was water. Today they tell us it's only 75%. Hogwash, they've been dehydrating everybody with the poisons. 93% of the function of DNA is light and sound reception and transmission. Photon, phonon, reception, transmission for intercellular communication and cellular upregulation. You know what cellular upregulation means? It means precipitation. In the now, 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 every millisecond, instant second, you're re-manifesting right now in water. Water is the most energy conductive of all of the materials. It's a superconductor. Let me give you the fundamental, the rudimentary origin of the numbers. Here it is. The most important numbers, three sixes and nines. Again, Tesla said, Tesla, who created a Tesla coil. Tesla coils, energy amplifiers. Your DNA is an energy amplifier, a coil. Operating by the three sixes and nines, primarily. For those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, you've probably looked at engines or motors, magnets that have been wound with copper wire. When you do that, when you wind the copper, coil the copper around the magnet, it enhances the energy dramatically. That's what your DNA is. It's an antenna to the creator. Every single cell of your body has this energy capability. It has this divine intelligence. What does that mean? That means the first entities that you should be communing with in order to uplift yourself, sustain yourself, heal yourself, is the billions of cells in your body that have its own unique genetic intelligence, its own sacred spiral to the Creator. And so this is the structure of the way that the universe operates, which does fabulous for us, our understanding of some of the most wonderful uh, pieces of information to may allow us to live a faithful life.
a life according to the law, according to the matrix. Here is the simple way to analyze this. You've heard of what goes around, comes around. You've heard of, as you sow, so shall you reap. So this is explains it. Let's say that you're here and you are putting out negative thoughts, negative behaviors, negative actions. It's all energy. The neurology in your brain's powerful. 86% of you is God water. So now that's going out and it goes out and here's what happens. It goes out, it goes up, up and down. This is called the event horizon. You shoot down through the middle of the event horizon, which is the black hole, comes out and spins back around, ultimately comes right back. Bringing to you karma. Bringing to you divine judgment. It's all according to the mathematical matrix. It's certain, it doesn't lie, it's always consistent. There's nothing missing, nothing broken in it. Welcome to the machine, everyone. I am your host, Mario, here with my co-host, Jeff Rowe. Journey with us as we adventure into conspiracy theories and the unexplained. Now, I don't know what you guys know about 432 or the Sophageo scale of music, but it appears that at some time back, we went from the Sophageo scale to a diatonic scale. And I'm no music expert, so if I get any of this wrong, you know, forgive me, people, but... Uh, it appears that the Sophageo scale was made in music initially to be a very harmonic, resonant thing um, to the people that are listening to it. Uh, it actually promoted cell regeneration. Uh, it promoted good feelings, good vibrations. Uh, it promoted healing. Uh, so many things. Uh, it, it's absolutely amazing. And, you know, as part of this agenda to make the world discordant and make people turn on each other and everything like that, I think that the diatonic scale was very purposely introduced because it is, frankly, discordant in many ways um, to uh, people and their, right down to their very biology. And this is something that has been proven uh, scientifically in a number of ways. So. Uh, you know, I'm not going to go into that. That's not the, uh, the uh, reason for this. The reason I'm talking about the esophageal scale and specifically the 432 hertz, which I believe is the uh, first A note above middle C, if I'm not mistaken, um, that is something that when music is tuned to that particular frequency, uh, seems to have a very profound effect, very profound positive effect on people. 
well. Where am I going with this? Well, where I'm going with this is uh, many of you may have seen uh, Conspiracy Music. I know everybody is familiar with uh, Conspiracy Music Guru or Alex, um, Flat Earth Man. And he is going to be releasing a brand new album. Uh, it's coming up this week. This is on his particular channel. Um, and he gives a little bit about uh, you know the Sophageo scale and the 432, a little bit of uh, history behind it and uh, shows also how it goes perfectly along with cymatics. It's interesting that the Sophageo scale cymatically produces some of the most beautiful and coherent patterns there are, just like what this guy is showing here. So Alex is, is going to release a new album uh, that's based all tuned in this 432 hertz. And I got to tell you guys, he sent me a track this morning. Uh, and said something like, Bob, you know, if you want to really mellow out uh, before the show, take a listen to this track, right? And he sent me a track that was called Heart. As soon as it started playing, guys, and I'm, I'm not kidding about this, I just got this incredibly warm feeling. Um, it absolutely just touched me uh, in a way that, that, that I can't even describe. Uh, it almost, you know, brought a little bit of a tear to my eye. And when I played it for Cammy. It did. It made her just out and out cry. I mean, she was so touched and moved by it. It was absolutely beautiful. It is a long departure from the typical, uh, you know, flat earth man stuff, which is awesome, of course. But uh, this just shows another side of Alex uh, and his diversity and how incredible of an artist and musician this man is. So, Zach, you heard, uh, since Zach is staying with us, Zach, you got an opportunity to hear this. Uh, track and uh, give us your take on it. What did you think of it? Yeah, it was. I didn't. I wasn't expecting that. It's a beautiful instrumental piece, and man, can he play a guitar! And it's just, I don't know. It resonates when you're listening to it. I had trouble concentrating on what I was doing, and I just stopped, and I just started. I just sat there and listened. And yeah, yeah, it was, it's beautiful. Like yeah. you said, it shows another side of Alex. It's just, wow. It really does. Um, and, you know, Alex, you know, obviously does a lot more than his Flat Earth Man stuff. He is a, and an incredibly talented musician. He's a fabulous singer. But this, this shows a side of Alex, which I had no idea. I knew he was a uh, fabulous artist, but wow. Uh, absolutely mind blowing this. So guys, he, I can hardly wait to hear the rest of the album. If it is half as good as the track Heart that he sent me today, um, it's it, it's going to be amazing. Absolutely amazing. So, Alex, thank you so much for that. You are, I would say, a rock, a rock star, but it goes far beyond that. <laughs> really, really beautiful work.
Hello, welcome back, everybody. It's uh, it's been a minute, Jeffro. You and I are very, very, very busy. We got a lot of things going on, a lot of things happening around us too, because life not only just happens to you and I, but it happens to people around us, which affects our lives as well. Uh, one of the things that I am currently uh, going through and dealing with is being on my own in in uh, the area of work that I'm at. Uh, there's a certain department where I work. There's usually four people there, three to four people. Um, right now, it's just me. My my supervisor is out. He uh, recently discovered that he has uh, a type of cancer. So um, we wish him a speedy recovery. Uh, but uh, that's just that amongst other things that you and I consistently deal with and go through with our day-to-day lives. Trying to make the time, just can't seem to make the schedules fit. Jeffro, I know you're working on uh, doing something with that, but, you know, baby steps, man. You got to start somewhere, and I know that's what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. And on my end, uh, I got scheduling is chaotic, as it always is in the industry that I, I participate in. Uh, currently, uh, what I'm being told is freight is, is chaotic in the fact that it's either – non-existent or the freight that is being propositioned to the company it's not worth hauling so i'm getting my my ability to get home and for us to do stuff in person is getting very limited so and then the schedule that does get apprehended whenever i am able to catch the load it's it's afternoon one day it's midnight the next day it's morning the day after so as you said it's difficult to get together and do these in a manner that has become standard for us we 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 hold ourselves to a high standard and we want to make sure we present information to you know the the audience and the fans out there uh that we feel like they deserve so the the time to do research and actually give a good product to you guys is, is getting more and more difficult, but we love doing it. And I'm super excited to get into what we're about to talk about. Um, for me, this is a culmination. Uh, this particular episode, it's uh, kind of a little baby to me. Uh, this is what we're going to be talking about. For me, it's been part of my spiritual journey. And it explains where I'm at mentally, spiritually, and why I think what we're going to cover has such profound importance. Um, for those of you who've been with us for a while now, what you're going to find in this episode is you're going to find correlations going back to previous episodes where we left you know, crumbs and, and cookies and Easter eggs. Uh, it's has everything to do with religion, Gnostic religion, sacred geometry, sacred numerology, scientific studies, uh, ancient archaeology, ancient religions. It, it's a mishmash of all the things that we've looked into. And as I've used the example before in the past, it's it's that cupboard you know that's that cabinet where i've placed 
different subjects up on the shelving. And now in the presentation of this information, this is sort of me looking back at all the different sort of hypotheses and kind of contemplating exactly what the, the real fabric of our reality is. So I'm, I'm really excited to, to present this information to everybody. Yeah, I think it makes it difficult for you and I whenever we plan to do an episode or, uh, you know, we, we start to get the outline together and we want to do it and we, we're trying to make the the schedules link up and, and do these things. But when we are so passionate about certain episodes, not saying that we have that we aren't uh, in the previous episodes because we are. It's just some of those episodes in the past where we, we go back and we look and go, OK, yeah, that was a pretty good episode. But, you know, we probably could have done a better job. This isn't this. We didn't want to do that with this episode here. And uh, as I'm sure a lot of the you know listeners by now, if you haven't figured out, Jeff Rowe is on the road. Um, we don't want to make you wait any longer, but uh, you know, there is a huge demand for, for drivers right now. And he's been out for quite some time. Yeah. So um, just to piggyback off that real quick, it seems like whenever we, we do decide to do these episodes, <laughs> I keep coming across, as you said, more information. So I get excited about a con, you know, about our content and then, you know, I get into the research, and this has happened a couple times. Uh, and this is this little stretch where we've been trying to get together. It's like, hey, Mario, yeah, let's get together. And then all of a sudden, I find something else, and I'm like, oh, hold on a second. I want to, I want to see if we could tap this into the to this episode. So yeah, um, you know, part of the delay is is you know, I, I would say the majority of the delay is uh, on me. So I apologize, but I hope we pay it off for you guys. And getting into this episode, Mario. As you guys could tell in the introduction, it's going to be culminating around frequency and vibration and the reality of our world uh, and, and how 532 hertz and – I'm sorry, 528 and 432 hertz plays itself in, in our reality to darn near – every facet that you could even fathom. So, so you're talking uh, about yeah. the secret of life. Uh, man, <laughs> I, I, I don't, I don't want to speak in hyperbole, but I, I think it has more than that. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and as I came across this information, uh, when we first started this, this podcast or whenever you first asked me to, to get onto the podcast, you know, I was hesitant, obviously, but it was a great decision I, though. It was yeah. a fantastic decision because not only is it an outlet for you and uh, have you found, and we have found that people think uh, like us or, or like-minded people, um, you're really good at doing, you know, the research that you bring to the table. Not that I couldn't, you have that time while you're on the road, you're good at doing that research and you have the time to do the research. It's just the collaboration part, you know, trying to make everything work, as I said before, can be, uh, can be challenging, but, uh, no, Jeff wrote, uh, I think I speak for everybody who's listening as well as our discord users. Cause <laughs> I, I read them from time to time and I wish I had something to come back to them with, but I really don't. 
Um, when, when we don't have anything, it's not that we're ignoring anybody. It's that uh, I don't want to patronize anybody with something. You know what I mean? Like it's it's like we, you right. know, okay, it's, it's been a while. It's time to deliver. And absolutely, uh, I think that's where we're at now. But uh, Jeffro, thank you for being uh, a great part of the show. I think uh, all of our listeners would agree. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And and one of the major reasons why I uh, was influenced to do this was, you know, through your, you know, you saying, Jeffro, hey, I really would enjoy you to come on here. But uh, whenever I think about doing the podcast, I, I go back to this. And um, throughout this episode, I'm going to be quoting from scripture and from, you know, uh, also Gnostic scriptures. And one of my favorite Gnostic books is the gospel of thomas and this this always comes to me anytime i think about the podcast and, and the people that i uh, that we talk to and it's a uh, gospel of thomas verse 33 it goes jesus said what you will hear in your ear both of them this is what you are to proclaim from your from your rooftops for no one light a lamp for no one lights a lamp and puts it underneath a bushel nor does he put it in a hidden place. Rather, he set it on a lampstand so that anyone who enters and goes out will see its light. Or like Kevin that, Hart said, say it with your chest. Say it with your chest. Yeah, so what that means to me is I've come across a lot of these different verses, uh, theories. Uh, I've come up with my own theories. Um, some of these scientific sort of studies that I don't hear a whole lot of people talk about. And as you and I have talked about in the past, you know, this whole idea of this conspiracy podcast, uh, even going to some of the, you know, darker sides of the conspiracy. You and I initially didn't know we were both, in, you know, interested in this type of information. So I kept a lot of the you know, stuff to myself. I didn't really speak out, which I, I think maybe a lot of our listeners listeners can go ahead and and, and uh, relate to, because a lot of times when you speak about this information, it's kind of like, eh, yeah, you kind of you kind of cautious with who you open up to. And so, like it says in there, if you have a light, if you have information, if you have uh, an ability to go ahead and share that information, go ahead and share it, because the information wasn't given to you for you to go and hide it. Like you, you didn't come across that information to hide it from the world. So anytime somebody learns something new, a new skill, uh, new information, you know, you were blessed with that information. So share it with the world. And, you know, that, that really spoke to me uh, when I came across that. I always relate that to, to the conversations we have on here because Part of the feel, part of the reason why I felt so secluded was because you don't have a lot of people talking about this information. You don't have a lot of people talking about these different vibrations and, and uh, these different subjects. And that's why I felt so secluded. That's why I felt so weird. When well, it's so heavily ideas. it's so heavily suppressed too, uh, and demonized by you know mainstream and everything. You know, if you say something that goes against the grain, you're a conspiracy theorist, and they demonize the terminology of conspiracy theory as well. Uh, I don't think it necessarily means that you're crazy. It means you're a critical thinker, and I go back to that many, many times. I prefer 
you know, the term critical thinker, but fine. You know, we'll take conspiracy theorists and we'll make it our own. I, I, that's fine too. But I think also you and I have found more and more, the more we make these episodes and the more people share them is that, uh, we are definitely not alone. There are many people out there who see something and say, Hey, you know what? This, this really just doesn't sit right with me there or what you're telling me doesn't seem to be the whole truth people are uh once they tap into their intuitive uh vibrations right, right. or their intuitive frequencies they know you know it speaks to them i've, I've got something pretty interesting that i came across uh you said conspiracy and that's you know a subject and i know we're kind of down dancing around the idea but uh of the subject of the podcast but we want to go ahead and uh you know lay some groundwork here but you were saying conspiracy right i i came across an old definition of conspire in latin and it speaks to what we're talking about here um the first record the first records of the word conspire come from the 1300s and it ultimately derives from the Latin verb conspiriar, meaning to act in harmony or to conspire. It comes from the combination of con, which means together, and to spirate or to breathe. So here we are sharing our information, uh, talking to people on Discord, and coming together on a common subject and common subject matter to try to voice, you know, give a voice to some of these things that we talk about. And what we're actually doing is we're acting in harmony to go ahead and speak the truth, essentially. And it's funny to me that in a world where something like conspiracy is frowned upon so vapidly, it's, it's, Almost as if the people in the general public don't even understand the word conspiracy, because if you look at it in that in that manner, it's an act of harmony to breathe. And and the funny thing about breathing, the only language in which breathe doesn't mean spirit is English. Like in every other major uh, language spirit equals breath so again you know so does conspire here in, in this terminology in latin um it's basically to together breathe or harmonize and uh i i, I really think that's interesting that we've gravitated to that word on this podcast and uh Though people might frown upon that terminology, they don't even realize the power behind that terminology. So I, I, I wanted to go ahead and uh, share that with everybody. Just some interesting roots to the uh, terminology there, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. And um, also, uh, we're referring to some of the, the openings that we had. Uh, there was another... A quote that I wanted to go ahead and share with everybody. Uh, whenever we're talking about frequencies here, right, which is what we're going to get into, uh, essentially 
mostly 432 and 528, but basically all frequencies because we all vibrate at a certain resonance. Um, and that's what we're learning through quantum mechanics and everything else is that everything is vibration, right? But uh, it's, it's interesting. There was this Confucius quote that I came across, and uh, what it said is this. If one should desire to know whether a kingdom is well-governed, if its morals are good or bad, the quality of its music will furnish the answer. So hmm. what that's relating to is – I believe it was 1939, right? And it seems like this year keeps popping up everywhere, doesn't it, Mario? It Around does. The time around the time where a lot of things sort of happened uh you know the the nazis and, and uh you know the the changing of uh, uh it almost like a changing of the guard right this is also the time when if you go back to the state national stuff uh whenever the imf started taking out loans on on the you know american citizens it seems like this is right around the same time uh we were getting out of the Great Depression and, and they're creating the social security system and and uh, just all this crazy stuff, you know. This even this was right around the same time that uh, the possibility of UFOs seemed to start <laughs> visiting. Yeah, it wasn't long after. No, no. So I mean, so this, what this was frame, what was that quote again from Confucius, Jeffrey? What was Confucius? that? Yeah, the one you just read. Um, okay, let me. Yeah, let me pull it up one more time. Yeah, he says, uh, "If one should desire to know whether a kingdom is well governed, if its morals are good or bad, the quality of its music will furnish that answer." Now, I don't. I don't think anything, because um, he was a philosopher. Right. I don't think anything right. I don't think anything was meant to be literal. Right? No, but whenever I hear that, and the reason why I quoted 1939 is I believe that's about the time when the Western method of tuning went from 432, because prior to that date, most orchestras and most music at the time was tuned to 432 hertz. And in 1939, there was a universal uh, change where everybody started tuning their music to 440, which is a non, which is a resonance that we're going to find out is it does not compute. It's it's not a derivative nine, which again we're going to see so many correlations to the number nine, which is a powerful number in sacred geometry and sacred numerology. Um. It it's amazing to me that this quote comes out back when Confucius, you know, was around. And even back then, there seems to be a knowledge that if if you don't have a true harmonizing collective in in the community, that vibration and frequency could go ahead and affect the entire community in a negative way. And it seems like if there is some sort of negative force, right? If there was some sort of uh, conscious effort to go ahead and, and 
control the masses and, and <laughs> control the population and, and all these things that seem to go back to the early 1900s. One of the first steps would be to alter the frequency at which music was harmonized, would it not? I mean, yeah, definitely. I mean, we're, we're talking about a time when, um, you know, you had the Nazi party and, and everything. It was all about power. Everything is about power. And even now, everything is about power. And, uh, you know, if you can have that power, you know, an, a, an exceptional amount of power through, you know, just by changing frequency and the, the, uh, the way people think, the way people feel, you can control that. Definitely. Yeah. Um, so, and in doing some of my research, you know, we're we're going to focus a lot on how frequency affects the body and the mind and the heart and the soul. And uh, there, there's a lot of evidence in in the Bible where it talks about these subjects matters, but not necessarily. It's not it's not necessarily focused on all that much. Um, I came across Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verses 13 through 19, and I wanted to go ahead and read these real quick. And it, it's interesting how it talks about light because at the end of the day, vibration, frequency, sound, that's light, right? Um, light is just sound and color, is it not? So um, – Depending on how it vibrates and how how fast it vibrates, uh, light seems to continuously pop up in, in all of all of the things we talk about when we get into religion. We get into uh, sort of the beginning, and it seems like light and water is always side by side with all this information. So, uh, starting with with uh, verse thirteen in Ephesians five. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore, be yet ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. And to me, it seems that entire section is talking about the things that we talk about manifestation right manifesting your light manifesting uh using your voice to to speak right that that's essentially you know the beginning of you the universe you know god spoke into existence right mm -hmm. um and these ideas of, of speaking and creating harmonies creating vocal uh vocal demands i mean the, the, the voice, the human voice is very interesting, okay, right? So uh, the human voice is like an audible fingerprint, 
no two humans have the exact same voice. Um, that, that's something that's very interesting to me. And in doing this research, I came across uh, no two people have the exact voice. You know, it's, it's as unique as fingerprints, which makes sense. I mean, that, that's one of the reasons why certain people are attracted to certain musical you know, acts, right? You know, some yeah. people, you know, will resonate and enjoy one person's type of music. And uh, it's almost like they're sinking into a harmony with that person. And, you know, uh, how many times have you spoken to somebody and asked, you know, why is it that you like, you know, so-and-so group or why is it that you like so-and-so artist? And a lot of times people's answers are, I don't know. I just, you know, I enjoy, you know, I yeah. enjoy their music. I enjoy, you know, it's the reception. Yeah. So it's, it's again, um, it's interesting that you, you find that in, in pop culture with, with music, you know, that's the easy way to kind of, kind of look at that. So that was something that was really interesting. And, and I want to go ahead and make sure when we're talking about this material, I want to make an emphasis on the fact that, um, you know, 432, right? If you add it up to get a single digit, you know, that's where we get this idea of this nine, right? This four plus three plus two is nine. You know, that you, you want to get to a single whole digit. That's uh, how a lot of the information in sacred numerology works. And then with 528, you get five plus two plus eight is 15, right? And then the, again, you go one plus five is six. So you have this correlation between this nine and six the brain and the heart. And again, in the past, we, we had talked about how just the symbolism of how you write nine and how you write six in some ways does look like a yin yang symbol, right? If, if you were to place them together. Right. And I don't think that's by accident. Right. And I don't know. I, I'm, I'm thinking that's, you know, pretty interesting. Um, and I know I'm kind of going off on a diatribe here, so Mario. At any point, if you you have anything, you can go ahead and jump in. No, man, I'm, I'm um, following. You're you're absolutely right. I mean, that was something I always noticed when I was a kid. Um, you know, watching my teachers write the numbers on the chalkboard or whatever. You know, the the nine and the six would always. You know, you put them together. It looks like a yin yang sign. You know, the the light and the dark. Right. Um. And I know. One of the things that I, I think about and one of the things that I, I've uh, really aspired to do whenever I come across information like this is uh, a lot of the stuff that I'm attracted to sometimes is a little bit more ethereal, right? A little bit more – it's not always tangible, you know, but I, I kind of always want to take some of those ideas and those hypotheses I have, and I want to try to attach them to science as well. So – one of the things that I find really interesting is the fact that when we're talking about vibrations, we're talking about uh, speech, we're talking about uh, frequency, it's kind of hard to visualize mentally when, when hearing people talk about that type of subject matter. But what I find fascinating is this. This is something that's well known in science, and what I mean by that is just thought itself 
whenever we discuss it and, and we contemplate sort of theories back and forth, thought, when we try to describe it, comes across as something like just non-tangible, right? It's, a thought is a thought. So it's hard sometimes to put into words what a thought actually is. But I, I would go ahead and at this point, with that being said, like to introduce the idea of the EEG, right? And the EEG, what it does is those are electrodes that you put on your on your skull, on your head, on your cranium, right? And what that does is it's recording the electrical activity between the neurons in your brain and those for the lack of a better term, those thoughts are leaving your mind. They're expanding. They're, they're, it's being recorded. That electrical activity is being uh, transmitted and, and, and operated within your brain. And those electrodes aren't inside your skull. They're not inside your brain. So how are they detecting them? Well, they're detecting them because those thoughts are escaping our mind, right? And they're leaving at a certain frequency. Right. Well, depending on a thought, too. I mean, because some of those thoughts are also going, you know, they're they're creating hormones and being stored somewhere, particularly in males, to help create life, too. Right, right, right. No doubt, no doubt. But I guess how I'm looking at it is this. They say, and this number is going to come up quite a bit uh, in, in all kinds of episodes. And if people remember going back to several episodes a long time ago, uh, this number seven, two seems to be ex extremely important. Okay. It's estimated that approximately 72,000 thoughts are created every day. And, and the reason why I think that's interesting is it doesn't necessarily mean we react on every thought and whatever, you know, you're right. You know, some of those thoughts go to hormonal creation and whatnot, but the thoughts that I'm specifically referring to, are the ones that are captured by the EEG, right? The energy of the brain producing those thoughts. And what I also want to bring to people's attention is it's not just the brain that emit that emits like electrical thoughts. You know, it's also the heart emitting electromagnetic energy, right? And this this is where we're kind of going to guide into because essentially the brain is is thought to have frequency of 432, right? Whereas the heart has a frequency of 528, right? And this has been recorded in the Heart Math Institute and, and several other places in science. And the fact that the heart emits certain frequency and it's recorded with an EKG. So what I find fascinating about that is whenever we're talking about these ideas, these ethereal ideas, ideas of, uh, you know, what are thoughts, what are emotions, they, they can be hard to describe because you can't necessarily see them, but they can be recorded scientifically. And I think that's important for people to keep in mind, right? Just because you can't necessarily see something doesn't mean they're not there or, or they're not created. So, you know, the idea of the brain emitting a 432 frequency, the heart emitting a 528 frequency. Well, how can you go ahead and prove that? Well, you can prove it with an EEG and an EKG, right? Because something has to be emitting from the skin and something has to be emitting from the skull 
because those electrodes are on the outside of the body. They're not on the inside of the body. So how are those sensors picking that up? Well, they're picking it up because those emotions, those feelings, those, that frequency is emitting outside of us. We're creating that from within and that's creating our outer world. Right, the energy we give. Exactly. And, uh, you know, we're going to come across and, and with the information that, uh, I found we're going to be coming across this 432 and this 528 constantly throughout this presentation. And uh, one of the things that I think is interesting is the heart, right? So the thing that I found in doing this research is there, there seems to be a homogenous sort of thing going on between the heart and the brain, not just by themselves individually of 432 or individually of 528, but the heart itself. Now, this could differentiate between whether or not you have high blood pressure, low blood pressure, whether you're at rest or whether you're running. But on average, the heart beats about 18 times every 15 seconds, okay? So I would ask you, how many times does the average heart beat within a minute? It would be 72 times. So there we go again with the seven and two. More so, if it beats 70 time, 72 times a minute on average, on average, you know how many beats the heart beats in an hour? 4,320. Huh. So you have, <laughs> so again, you know, remembering the power of nine and uh, we're going to get into some of this stuff uh, later on in the episode or in, in later on in the series, but this nine seems to pop up constantly in sacred geometry, sacred numerology. Um, it constantly pops up, and you know this. This gives me a, a good idea and a good time to go ahead and uh, also talk about something that's very interesting with this seven and two, or this seventy-two. If people are screaming at the podcast saying seven two, I know where I, I, I know that I know where that came from, right? Well, we we covered something a while back that referenced seven and two. Uh, right off the top of your head, Mario, I know a lot of times when we do this podcast, uh, we, don't, we don't really give all the information that we're going to share back and forth. So uh, I didn't go over this with you, but real quick off the top of your head, what does 7 and 2 remind you of? Or does it remind you of anything? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, just... Okay, so like uh, how many hours are in three days, right? Well, that's true. Yes, it is 72. 72. Uh, but I was, three is a division of nine, right? Right, right. But I wasn't referring to time necessarily. Oh. Um, instead, of, instead of forcing you to try to remember what I'm trying to get out of you, if everybody remembers back whenever we were talking about 
the alteration of the human genome and the possibility that there was a outside entity that changed our DNA about 200,000 years ago. Do you remember what chromosomes were altered? Uh, yes. Unbelievably. Unbelievably. In, in, in Darwinism, in, in the idea of evolution, it's not uncommon for one chromosome to change, to, to alter the organism to go ahead and allow it to uh, evolve in its environment, right? Usually there's a stressor in the environment that causes them to change that chromosome to go ahead and function within the new environment. But it is astronomical, the, the ability for two separate chromosomes to alter at the exact same time. And in our evolutionary past, 200,000 years ago, when we had anatomically modern humans, and we have not evolved since that time, which is also crazy if you want to go ahead and believe evolution. Because over a 200,000-year period, you would have thought, because the environment has changed quite drastically over 200,000 years, right? We've had yeah, impacts definitely. since then. We've had ice ages since then. There would have been some changes to our DNA, and there hasn't been any. We're, we're basically the exact same creature we were 200,000 years ago in the fossil record. And the odds of that is 1 in 10 to the 600th power. Okay? And chromosome 2, you're not going to believe this. You remember what chromosome 2 was in charge of? Well, let me, let me, it's easier, it's easier for me to start with chromosome seven with my point. Chromosome seven is responsible for speech. That, you know, I was going to say that I was going to say yep. speech. Yep. Chromosome because seven. It, Go ahead. This goes back to the Anunnaki episodes that you and I were talking <laughs> about. When you, were, you were mentioning the, uh, you know, the chromosome of, uh, you know, again, you know that gave us the the capability of speaking to one another right yes, to understand absolutely. each other and speak uh it was mysteriously out of nowhere during that time just popped up out of nowhere right it's just oh yep, by the way you're coherent you're you you uh you have um oh what's the word i'm looking for here jeffro um you had the ability to speak there was an alteration in the jawline uh, the muscle between the mandible and the skull right, that right. allowed our tongue to go ahead and be able to move in a certain way, specifically this uh, gene FOXP2 inside of chromosome seven. Um, and you were, you were on the right track with the con uh, the consciousness there. Consciousness. Because that's, thank you. That, that's that's what chromosome two is responsible for chromosome two. The gene TBR one is responsible for the enlarging of the brain. 76% of the neocortex increased in volume. And this is the part of the brain that's responsible for emotion, sympathy, empathy, compassion, and self-regulation. Um, so the two distinct genes that basically make us who we are are chromosome seven and chromosome two. Now that could have just been 
by happenstance, I don't know exactly how they determined which chromosome was seven and which chromosome two, but you and I are both of the understanding or of the unbelief that uh, nothing is just coincidence. So uh, is it just coincidence that those were the two identified at the time they were identified and then it came to find out that those were the two that basically are responsible for our ability to speak and create vibration? Uh, th th those are the, the parts or those are the genes that uh, give us the ability to interpret vibration and frequency. I mean, I, it could be happenstance, but I don't know, man. Uh, I don't think it's coincidental. It's just, it's. I mean, coincidental. Look, it's one of the things that I struggle with all the time when you start talking about creation and uh, you know where we came from and how the universe become. Uh, you know, when you talk about coincidences, yeah, maybe you and a coworker wear the same shirt on a Monday, right? That I can believe is a coincidence. The 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 very existence of everything. Come on, I mean. Maybe maybe it's on a different scale, and I'm just not catching up to it. But I mean, you don't coincidentally get into a car accident, right? Things happen. Chain, you know, certain chain of reaction. Thing, right, yeah. Chain of reaction happens, and then it, you know, then you get what you have. Absolutely, and so. I'm going to come up. I, I want to go ahead and bring something else to everybody's attention. Um, what's so interesting about this concept, right, about the brain and, and how uh, it all, all plays in. Let me uh, – I'm going through a bunch of notes for everybody who notices I might be delaying for, for time here. Um, growing up. If I were to ask you and if I were to ask the audience, what were the things that we were taught in school that distincted, distinctly made mammals different from other mammals? Like uh, the first initial one would be like live birth, right? Uh, the next one would be hair, right? Or, you know, mammals have hair um, and, and several different things. Those are the first two things that come to mind, right? But that's not necessarily the truth, right? Because – the first example that comes to my mind is the duckbill platypus, right? It's a marsupial, but it's a, it's a mammal, right? It doesn't give live birth. It lays eggs, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not – it's the, the live birth thing is not true for everything. But what I did find was there is one specific characteristic that – defines mammals. Okay, so this specific characteristics that mammals have are what's going on inside the ear. Okay. Yeah. And what's going on inside the ear is this. Uh, having three ossels in the middle ear is one of the defining features of mammals. All reptiles and birds have only one middle ear osseal. Okay. The stapes and the columella, I hope I'm saying these words correctly. If I'm not, I apologize. Um, how these two additional osseals 
come to reside and function in the middle ear of mammals has been studied for the last 200 years and represents one of the classic examples of how structures can change during evolution to function in new and novel ways. From fossil data, comparative anatomy, and develop, developmental biology, it is now clear that the two new bones in the mammalian middle ear, the malleus and the incus, are homologous to the quadrate and articular, sorry, which form the articulation for the upper and lower jaws and non-mammalian jawed vertebrates. The incorporation of the primary jaw joint into the mammalian middle ear was only possible due to the evolution of a new way to articulate the upper and lower jaws with the formation of the dentary squamosal joint or the TMJ in humans. The evolution of these three osseals in the ear in mammals is thus intricately connected with the evolution of a novel jaw joint the two structures evolving together to create the distinctive mammalian skull. Today, mammals have three small bones in the ear that transmit sound from the eardrum, the malleus, the incus, and the stapes. A wealth of evidence from fossils and developing embryos suggests that two of these ear bones were once jaw bones. Over millions of years of evolution, they shrank in relative size and detached completely from the jaw. Reptiles, like our non-mammalian ancestors, probably probably hear by placing their jaw on the ground to pick up low-frequency vibrations. But mammals, with their three ear bones, can hear high-pitched sounds in the air. They can hear insects buzzing, wind wrestling, birds squawking, music, and speech. Now, when I first heard that, something struck me. When sort of trying to consume that information, right? Because a lot of times when I get new information like that, Mario, it, it something sort of once I understand it, I, I think there's something going on with that. Because again, it, there's something very special about mammals and especially humans with our TMJ joint. The ability to speak – so basically, essentially, the ability to create different tones, the ability to create different vibrations with our voice and to be able to communicate and all this other stuff, right? But only mammals have this three-ear thing, and I'm going to post this on our Discord, uh, a, a photo of the inner ear. Um, but whenever you see this, Mario, I, I – sent you a photo of this mm -hmm. when you notice the middle ear what what's one of the first things that pop out to you if if you were to you know if you're looking at this image it looks like a snail right if i were to ask you to specifically look at the cochlea okay what does it remind you of Um, yeah, it reminds me of the, uh, Fibonacci. The spiral, right? Yeah. It's not exactly a, a, a the Fibonacci, but it's a spiral, right? And the spiral you see where you see a lot in, uh, 
Native American art, uh, Aborigine art out of Australia. You see spirals everywhere, right? You see right. spirals in, in England, uh, in, in Ireland. Uh, it's just a very strange. Again, I don't want to really call it um, coincidence, but the, the thing that distincts us from other animals and especially humans is this is this uh, bio- biological difference that, again, the ear is something that's focused with receiving and interpreting vibration, right? It's almost like we need that organ to understand the resonance of, of, of sound, right, in our environment. Now, whenever I understood this, I realized something. Okay, and, and this is a Jeffro hypothesis. You can call me crazy. That's fine. I, I want to hear your opinion, and maybe even those who are listening to this on Discord, maybe you guys can give me your, your initial impression of this idea. But remember, these are the things that are distinct to mammals specifically. When you look and you uh, research incidences like cattle mutilation what are the parts of the animal that always seem to come up missing it would be the eyes and the jaw area the eyes the jaw area the ear the tongue and the sex organs now, I don't know about the sex organ. I don't know how, you know, I don't know where we go there. Whoa, whoa, wait. They but, take their bits and pieces too? What's that now? Most most of the cattle mutilations, the tongues are missing. The jawbone is exposed because they take away the jaw muscle. And they take away the inner ear. They take away the eye, or at least usually one eye that's facing the sky. And they also take some sex organs. So you're telling me this alien, ignorant-ass fox are taking the bits and pieces away from the cattle? What I'm saying is if you were a species that was trying to understand how an intelligent species on a new planet or different dimension or however you want to look at it, if you were trying to figure out how it was that they communicated and created you know their tones and their vibration and and their frequency and you needed to understand that biology would you not go to something that's of the same because we're, we're very similar to cows i mean we drink their milk right so livestock animals that we consume animals that you know whatever they they're mammals so they have the distinct biological you know piece inside their skull that correlates to us i'm not saying it's 100 percent true but i mean if if you're looking for a way to try to understand how we communicate how we produce vibrations how we produce certain things it's interesting that the pieces that are missing out of these cattle and these these horses 
seem to be these exact parts that I'm referencing that distinct us from reptiles and everything else. Um, it's not like they're taking legs. It's not like they're taking the heart. It's not like they're taking the lungs. They're not taking, you know, the liver. They're not taking any. They're taking the things that make them mammal. That's, I mean, okay, but, you know, take away a man's dick. It's kind of like taking away his heart. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, maybe the the sexual organs thing. Well, it's brain uh, anyway, because most of them, you know, I don't know about other guys out there, but. You know, I, I tend to think with mine from time to time, not intentionally, but it happens. Right, right. No, I just, uh, uh, again, you know, maybe, maybe I'm crazy. I just, it's something that struck me because I had, I guess, previously been looking at some cattle mutilation things. And I noticed that the, the things that these two articles were talking about were the exact things that were missing from the cow. And I thought, wow, that's pretty interesting. So I don't know. Maybe maybe it's just me. It's possible. There's a lot of things wrong with me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> no, I see where you're going with this, buddy. Okay. So uh, moving forward, if, if I haven't creeped people out already, when we when we talk about this number 432 and, and 9 and, and uh, some of these different things going on and these frequencies, what what is it that uh, we talk about and we speculate quite a bit when we talk about frequencies and ancient builders, uh, especially referring to the Egyptians, right? Do we do we or do we not, or or do you guys out there hear the explanation that possibly the pyramids were built by sound, right? That that's pretty yeah. pretty common theory, right? Well, not not only theory. There was uh, uh, wasn't there one? There was one guy. Was it in the seventies who had the uh, shell castle, right? Yeah, Edward Skolnick. Thank you. Um, who claimed that it was done through frequency? He had the secret, and it was done through frequency. Right. Exactly. Well, the speculation so, was frequency, anyway. But yeah, he yeah. he claimed that he knew how to do it, and he and he, he replicated. Right. He moved right. heavy objects himself. Things that he would need, um, big ass tow motors or, or, or cranes or, or things to move uh, these these heavy objects of that nature. He did it by himself, and he did it in a timely manner by himself. Yeah, absolutely. So, if I were to describe to you the geometry of the Ark of the Covenant. I would like to hear your opinion on this. Now, in the Bible, it talks about cubits, and you know there is there is speculation that you know we can't nail down the exact type of cubit because there was different types of cubits. There was the Egyptian cubit, there was the the Roman cubit, or whatever. So there there is a little bit of controversy with this, but essentially. Um, what most people agree to the Ark of the Covenant was 45 inches long. Now listen to these numbers, 45 inches long by 27 inches wide by 27 inches high. What are all those numbers? 
they're all nine. Right? Yeah. Four, five, nine, and two, seven, nine, two, seven, nine. Now, well, what I mean, if? Good. If you, if you, I mean, if you just add them up, if you just add forty-five and twenty-seven and twenty-seven, you get ninety-nine. Do you? You do. Eighty. <laughs> that's 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 a new one yeah that's interesting nine nine huh yes sir but what if it goes further than that mario what if i were to tell you in the great pyramid of giza mm-hmm. right that the sarcophagus in the king's chamber, the vacant space within the king's chamber, so not so much the the, the sarcophagus itself, but the the space that it you know is vacant. Right. What if I were to tell you that it's the exact same dimensions? It's forty-five inches long by twenty-seven inches high by twenty-seven inches wide. That's interesting. Very interesting, isn't it? Now, I know the speculation is, before I get jumped on, I know the speculation is, or, or what the Bible says was it was created in the wilderness by Moses, right, after they had escaped the Great Pyramid. But it's also known that it's a great source of power, right? It's known that the Jews supposedly were the one slaves that, that created the pyramids, right? So they obviously would be aware of this, right? Um, and I know there's controversy with this uh, hypothesis because there there is a hypothesis out there that this is the case, that the king's chamber was actually a holding uh, contraption to hold the Ark of the Covenant because no bones were ever found, no king was ever found no no mummy and nothing right so it, there there is a question as to what was held there in, in that chamber right and and when you go back to the story it is interesting that after the plagues were you know sent down from heaven onto the, the egyptians that the the pharaoh was like yes you know you can you know let your people go and then as they are escaping, all of a sudden he changes his mind, right? Uh, one would think, why? Why would they necessarily change their mind in a, in a almost chaotic fashion? You know, they had just been inundated with all these plagues, right? Unless maybe there was, you know, maybe the Moses and his people, you know, took something with them that maybe they weren't supposed to. Or it wasn't part of the agreement, right? And the Pharaoh's like, "Hold, what? They took what? No, right? Holy shit, we gotta go after them." And then I know this is speculation, but be a pretty if it was it was as powerful as they say it was, you you would think it'd be powerful enough to help part the Red Sea, right? Sure. I mean, that makes right? sense. 
Yeah, yeah. And I don't know. I'm I'm going to also make mention of something else that's very interesting. You know, they, you've had a lot of people go into the Great Chamber and spend the night. Um, I don't know if you can do that anymore because of the political stresses. But there have been, you know, scientists and and researchers that have done that. You know, spent time in the chamber and spent you know nights there and stuff. What if I were to tell you that the chamber itself resonates at 117 hertz? Okay. Okay. So here we are with the number nine again, right? But the reason why this became very interesting to me was if you were to strike the sarcophagus, right? Do you know the frequency that the sarcophagus resonates at? 432. Okay, so how did you get that information? Oh, well, this is hashtag research. <laughs> no, so somebody um, actually did this. Yep, absolutely. Uh, if, if you strike, if you strike the sarcophagus, you get a 432 frequency. And if, if you hum at a certain resonance inside the chamber and they found out that that hum is 117 hertz, then it, it, it will, will, you know, there's a woo, 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 woo sound inside the chamber. So I'm going to post another photo. I'm going to post several photos, you know, correlating to this episode. But again, this is why the numbers like nine are so important in, in my spiritual uh, journey and uh, especially 432. Uh, it's – I really hope people understand this information, and uh, I hope I'm not it's, – it's so important to me. Uh, I was – like I told you at the beginning, I was kind of nervous presenting this information because I don't want it to sound robotic, but I want it to have some sort of gravitas. Uh, but the second photo that I'm going to post is a photo in the Temple of Horus in Erdu, Egypt. Mm. Okay, And I sent this photo to you, Mario. When looking at this photo, what do you notice? Um, uh, it looks like a Wi-Fi signal. Right. Like it's, a... Uh, transmitting signal like a frequency signal right all right and i know the, the photo that I, I sent you isn't the greatest in the world um no it wasn't a bad but photo there, the, in, in his other hand what does it look like he's kind of holding because he's got something in his other hand as well all right let me pull it back up Oh, that dirty bat looks like a cut off cow dick is what it looks like to me. <laughs> no, if, if I, you know, with the power of suggestion, what if I were to ask you what he's actually, or what if I were to suggest that he's holding a pine cone? You know, I was going to say egg, but okay. Pine cone egg, egg would work. Now, with that being the case, we, we've seen other edifices like that and other uh, pictures and whatnot in ancient 
history times, going even back to the Anunnaki with this with this acorn sort of shape, right? Uh-huh. And people usually reference this as maybe the pineal gland, right? There's, there's speculation that this is referred to the pineal gland, right? And one would ask, why would there be any sort of combination or connection with the pineal gland and maybe like a, a some sort of broadcasting frequency emanating from the other hand? And how is this even possible, right? You know, scientifically, you know, how could those two things even be connected? Well, what if I were to tell you in 2002, Israeli researchers found something on the pineal gland? Okay. From uh, the National Library of Medicine, uh, the National Center for Biotechnology Information, there was an article published in 2002 uh, under the section of uh, bioelectromagnetics. Okay, a new form of biomineralization, yeah, say that five times fast, has been studied in the pineal gland of the human brain. It consists of small crystals that are less than 20 micron in length and that are completely distinct from the often observed mulberry type hydroxyapatite consecrations. A special procedure was developed for isolation of the crystals from the organic matter in the pineal gland. Cubic, hexagonal, and cylindrical morphologies have been identified using scanning electron microscopy. The crystal edges were sharp, whereas their surfaces were very rough. Energy dispersive spectroscopy showed that the crystals contain only the elements calcium, carbon, and oxygen. Selected area electron diffraction and near-infrared Raymond spectroscopy established that the crystals were calcite, with the exception of the otoconia structure of the inner ear. This is the only known non-pathological occurrence of calcite in the human body. The calcite microcrystals are probably responsible for the previously observed second harmonic generation in the pineal tissue sections. The complex texture structure of the microcrystals may lead to crystal crystal lo, lo, crystal lographic symmetry breaking and possible piezoelectricity. Piezoelectricity. Goodness gracious. As is the case with autoconia, it is believed that the presence of the two different crystalline compounds in the pineal gland is biologically significant, suggesting two entirely different mechanisms of formation and biological function. Studies directed towards the elucidation of the formation and functions and possible non-thermal interaction with external electromagnetic fields are currently in progress. And it seems as though when these crystals are agitated, there is a blue hue that emanates from the pineal gland. 
as if it is sort of responding or is similar to what Christians see as a blue light in Christian art whenever regarding and discussing halos. Okay. Okay. The pineal gland is also referred to, again, as the pine cone. So what if on the relief on the uh, Egyptian tomb of uh, Horus's temple, it's some sort of visual representation of powering pineal gland using this frequency to operate things like levitation. Somehow they had some sort of knowledge of being able to tap into this uh, pineal 432 hertz or whatever the hertz might be. Uh, they talk about the pineal gland, you know, being the eye of Horus, right? So it would be in the right temple if it's in the temple of Horus, right? Uh, this is something that, you know, might have been part of the hidden knowledge. You know, they talk about the all seeing eye and, and Freemasonry, right? Uh, interestingly, that's on the top of the Great Pyramid. There's a lot of coincidences happening with all this information. Your thoughts, my friend. I mean, there's definitely a lot of information that we get and that we're still learning about the ancient Egyptians. It seems like the, it was a civilization that was far beyond its time and our time. Um, you know, we're learning lots of new things about ourselves and a lot of the ways that we're learning these new things about ourselves seems to be by going back to our ancient ancestors. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, I don't think this is a coincidence. I, again, in coming across this information, these numbers, these frequencies, they keep popping up, right? And as we've said in the past, why does it matter? Why is it important? Why are these frequencies important, right? They're important because, as we've discussed before, if this is a holographic impression, uh, of reality, right? Or, or if this is some sort of a matrix. spiritual matrix, right? right? What's going on is that can't happen unless there are repetitive codes. If there, that can't happen right. unless you know numbers aren't repeating. You know, you talk to anybody who's a computer programmer. You know, you you have to have uh, elements. You know, for, for computers, you know, the binary system, ones and zeros, right? You, I don't want to say artificial, but there's a there seems to have at least been some sort of outline, some sort of scaffolding of our reality that was put into place. And then from that scaffolding, you know. We're talking about creation. Right. We're talking about creation, right? There's from that scaffolding, you know things evolve on their own and branch off and you know go along the lines of 
going in the pattern of a Fibonacci sequence or going into the pattern of uh, twos, you know, with, you know, cell mitosis, you know, the two, four, eight, 16, the doubling of the number, 32, 64, you know, 128. Or there's a, another sacred number system called the angel numbers, which are 11, 22, 33, 44, 55, 66, 77. These all mean something. It, these are not things that just happen haphazardly with no rhyme or reason. And part of our search for meaning in life, or part of my search in meaning for life, has always been there has to be something tangible for this stuff to make sense. Because for too often, for too long, you, you come across people and adults that would give you the explanation anytime you have a question that they couldn't answer of, well, I don't know. That's the way it's always been or because I said so or, you know, I'm your parent, you know, and what I say goes. Right. Or, you know, teachers say, well, that's what's in the lesson plan. Right. Right. Nobody wants to dig any deeper or they just want to accept. They just want to. And this is a word we've used a lot recently. They just want to acquiesce to, oh well, there's no meaning in that. That's it, you know, it just is what it is. And the more that I, I look, the more I, I research, the more I realize that that's not that's not the answer. It, it's absolutely not the answer. Uh, the power to to create the power to uh, figure things out. It, there, there was a, there was another article I wanted to bring up, um, and this goes back to the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, there is a connection between the pyramid and the Ark, and I'm only going to read a, a two two of these uh, paragraphs. Uh, the word Ark comes from the Hebrew word Aron which means a chest, a box. Its dimensions are described by the Bible by two and a half cubits, by one and a half, by one and a half cubits, which is the 45, 27, 27 inches. Curiously, this is the exact volume of the stone chest or proprietal coffer in the king's chamber in the Great Pyramid in Egypt. So this is where I got it, Mario. <laughs> gotcha. the, coffer was the, the coffer was the only object within the king's chamber as the ark was the single sacred object within the Holy of Holies in the temple. Also, the laver or basin that the priests used to wash their feet had the identical cubic dimensions. In addition, the cubic dimensions of the inner chamber of the temple, the Holy of Holies, are precisely identical in size to the king's chamber in the pyramid in the temple of Solomon. Uh, in the pyramid at the same volume as the molten sea of water on the temple mount as prepared by King Solomon. Since the pyramid was built and sealed long before the days of Moses, when he built the ark in the Holy of the Holies, and had remained sealed for over 25 centuries until the 9th century after Christ, there is no natural explanation for the phenomenon of both structures having identical volume measurements. So, you know, they give themselves an out there, uh, saying that it's just possibly coincidental. Mm, don't know about that. I don't know if it's coincidental. Uh, Especially since there's no evidence that there was ever a body housed in the in the temple, right, or in the in the pyramid, the Great Pyramid. Um, 
I don't know. Uh, I, I don't find this stuff just coincidental. Um, going forward, I, I did want to go ahead and introduce something to the audience. Uh, this is another video, uh, but they're talking about the Japanese geneticist Susumo Ono. And uh, in the 80s, and this is a subject matter, again, that we've talked about in the past. He was talking about how frequencies affect DNA and the fact that it can change matter. And with resonance, which is something that we've also talked about with Dr. Emoto, right? And we've talked about resonance. If sound and vibration can affect the molecular structure of our DNA and our body is three quarters water, you know, whatever, whatever you want to go ahead and whatever research you want to believe, because it seems like every time we look into that subject matter, you, you hear numbers anywhere between 60 and 80%. Water. Oh yeah. The percentage is always changing. Right. So, uh, in his speculation, he talks about how there is definitely vibrational change within the DNA whenever you can resonate the frequencies outside of the body to within the body. And there's wide speculation that if we could hone this technology, then we could actually cure certain diseases with sound. And this is something that you've talked about. With cancer, with Royal Rife, right? how he, he that was his claim that he was able to cure vigorous cancers with frequency, right? And this is also sort of along the lines of what we talked about during the water podcast with Dr. Montagnier with being able to transport uh DNA structure through sound over the internet. Right. So, if you'd like, we'll go ahead and uh, uh. Real quick, uh, before we introduce this video, uh, he also talks a lot about cymatics and how the proof of being able to change the molecular structure of DNA is is been proven through cymatics. So I found this really interesting, and I want to you know share it with everybody. Did you know that the nucleotide sequence of DNA can be converted into music? In 1986, the Japanese geneticist Suzumu Ono discovered DNA music by converting the nucleotide bases G, T, C, and A to the musical notes A, C, G, and D, respectively. This intriguing revelation led to the question, if DNA can be translated into music, can music, in turn, affect or change our DNA? Sound, as we now know, possesses mass and has the ability to move matter. By delving into the study of cymatics and exploring the potential effects of music on DNA, we can begin to uncover the possibility of utilizing music as a healing tool. Suzumu Ono's groundbreaking research in translating DNA sequences into melodious compositions opened a door to a realm of unexplored possibilities. By associating specific musical notes with nucleotide bases, Ono revealed the inherent musicality encoded within our genetic blueprint. This discovery not only ignited fascination, but also prompted profound questions about the reciprocal relationship between DNA and music. 
If DNA, the fundamental blueprint of life, can be transformed into music, what potential influence could music have on our genetic code? Ono's approach of converting DNA into harmonious melodies highlighted the underlying connection between the complex language of genetics and the universal language of music. DNA, consisting of four nucleotide bases, adenine, A, cytosine, C, guanine, G, and thymine, T, can be seen as a symphony of genetic information. Each base holds a distinct role in determining the genetic instructions that shape an organism. By associating musical notes with these nucleotide bases, Ono unveiled a profound interplay between the scientific and artistic domains. The translation process not only created beautiful compositions, but also provided insights into the inherent musicality within our genetic code. This revelation sparked a deep curiosity about the reciprocal relationship between DNA and music, whether music, in turn, could influence or impact our genetic makeup. Considering the intricate nature of DNA and the complexity of musical compositions, one might ponder the potential effects music could have on our genetic code. Music, as a powerful medium that evokes emotions, has long been recognized for its capacity to elicit physiological and psychological responses in individuals. It can ignite joy, calmness, excitement, or introspection, transcending language and cultural barriers. If music has the ability to affect our emotions and well-being, could it also have a tangible impact on our DNA? While scientific evidence in this area is still emerging, preliminary studies suggest that music may indeed have the potential to influence genetic expression and cellular processes. The field of epigenetics explores the factors beyond DNA sequence that can influence gene expression. It acknowledges that external factors, such as environmental stimuli and lifestyle choices, can modify the way genes are expressed. Sound, as a form of stimulus, may also be capable of triggering epigenetic changes within our cells. Furthermore, recent research has shown that sound waves can affect cellular activity. For instance, specific frequencies have been found to stimulate or inhibit the growth of cells, influence protein synthesis, and even modulate the release of neurotransmitters. These findings suggest that music, as a combination of harmonious frequencies, could potentially interact with our cellular processes, including DNA-related mechanisms. The field of cymatics offers a captivating perspective on the relationship between sound, vibrations, and the formation of intricate geometric patterns in various substances. By studying the visual representations of sound waves in materials like sand or water, researchers have made remarkable discoveries about the vibrational energy emitted by sound. This exploration into the realm of cymatics raises intriguing questions about the potential impact of music, which consists of complex sound waves on the human body, including our DNA. Cymatics has revealed that specific sound frequencies can generate mesmerizing patterns in matter. As sound waves travel through a medium, they cause the particles within that medium to vibrate. These vibrations, when organized and coordinated, manifest as intricate geometric shapes that can be observed and studied. The notion that sound waves have the power to visibly change matter leads us to consider the possibility that music, with its rich and intricate collection of sound waves, may possess the ability to influence not only our physical surroundings, but also the very essence of our being, 
our DNA. When we listen to music, we experience a symphony of different frequencies and harmonies. Each musical note corresponds to a specific frequency and wavelength, creating a complex tapestry of sound. These musical vibrations, just like any other sound waves, have the potential to interact with our bodies at a fundamental level. Within our bodies, DNA serves as the blueprint for life, containing the genetic instructions that shape who we are. It is composed of nucleotide bases, and each base has its own vibrational properties. Given that sound waves can affect the vibrational patterns in matter, it is not far-fetched to hypothesize that music, as a collection of intricate sound waves, might influence the vibrational state of our DNA. The potential influence of music on DNA brings to mind the concept of resonance. Resonance occurs when two objects share similar frequencies, causing one object to vibrate in response to the vibrations of the other. It is possible that the resonant frequencies present in music could interact with the vibrational frequencies of our DNA, creating a harmonious resonance within our cells. If music has the power to influence the vibrational state of our DNA, it could potentially impact gene expression, cellular processes, and ultimately, our overall well-being. This opens up a new realm of possibilities for utilizing music as a therapeutic tool capable of restoring balance and promoting healing at a fundamental level. The exploration of sound and vibration on the human body has been the subject of numerous studies. One fascinating area of investigation is sound therapy, which has demonstrated its ability to promote relaxation, reduce stress, and enhance overall well-being. It has been observed that the resonant frequencies emitted by various musical instruments can stimulate different physiological responses in individuals highlighting the profound influence that sound and vibration can have on our bodies. When considering the impact of sound and vibration on DNA, it is crucial to recognize that DNA is not simply an inert molecule. Rather, it possesses inherent vibrational frequencies that contribute to its functioning. These frequencies play a crucial role in the stability and integrity of our genetic material. Disruptions or disturbances to these frequencies can lead to genetic mutations or alterations, which can have significant consequences for our health and well-being. Given the vibrational nature of DNA, it is plausible to suggest that music, as a powerful source of vibrations, has the potential to interact with our genetic material at a fundamental level. The intricate collection of sound waves in music generates vibrations that can permeate our bodies, reaching deep within our cells. Through this perspective, music could be viewed as a medium capable of resonating with the vibrational frequencies of DNA. The resonant frequencies within music may align with or influence the vibrational frequencies of our genetic material, potentially leading to physiological and even epigenetic changes. Epigenetics, the study of heritable changes in gene expression that do not involve alterations to the DNA sequence, provides a framework to understand how music might impact our DNA. Epigenetic modifications can be influenced by external factors such as environmental stimuli, lifestyle choices, and potentially sound vibrations. By affecting the vibrational frequencies of DNA, music might modulate gene expression potentially influencing cellular processes and overall physiological responses. 
This opens up a fascinating realm of inquiry into the potential use of music as a therapeutic tool to promote wellness and restore balance within our bodies. From ancient civilizations to modern times, music has been intertwined with the concept of healing and restoration. Ancient cultures recognized the therapeutic effects of certain melodies and rhythms, utilizing music to promote physical and emotional well-being. In recent years, scientific research has shed light on the physiological impact of music, revealing its potential to influence various bodily functions. Listening to music has been shown to have measurable effects on heart rate, blood pressure, stress hormone levels, and even immune system activity. These findings suggest that music possesses the remarkable ability to interact with our physiological processes, influencing our overall health and well-being. If music can have such a significant impact on these physiological aspects, it is reasonable to speculate that it may also possess the potential to influence our DNA at a molecular level. DNA, as the fundamental blueprint of life, plays a crucial role in determining our genetic makeup and maintaining our cellular processes. The vibrational frequencies present in music may hold the key to its potential influence on DNA. DNA itself possesses inherent vibrational frequencies, and disruptions to these frequencies can result in genetic mutations or imbalances. By aligning specific musical frequencies with the vibrational frequencies of DNA, it is possible that music could restore harmony and balance within our genetic blueprint. Research in the field of bioacoustics suggests that certain frequencies and harmonies can resonate with specific parts of the body. Just as a skilled musician tunes their instrument to produce harmonious sounds, it is conceivable that music, when carefully composed and attuned, could create resonances that interact with the vibrational frequencies of our DNA. The potential healing influence of music on DNA extends beyond the realm of mere speculation. Studies have indicated that music therapy can impact gene expression, altering the activity of genes associated with stress response, inflammation, and immune function. This suggests that music has the ability to initiate epigenetic changes, modifying gene expression patterns without altering the underlying DNA sequence. Furthermore, emerging research in the field of psychoneuroimmunology reveals the intricate connection between mind, body, and the immune system. Music has the capacity to evoke emotional and psychological responses, which can subsequently modulate immune system activity. These immunomodulatory effects may further contribute to the potential healing influence of music on our DNA. One particular frequency that has gained attention is 432 Hz. Proponents of this frequency argue that it possesses a unique resonance with the human body and the natural world, promoting harmony and balance within our DNA. Advocates claim that listening to music tuned to 432 Hz can induce a profound sense of well-being and even facilitate healing at a cellular level. Moreover, sound-based therapies such as isochronic tones and binaural beats offer further opportunities to experience specific frequencies. Isochronic tones are single tones that pulse on and off at specific intervals, while binaural beats involve presenting two slightly different frequencies to each ear, resulting in the perception of a third frequency. These techniques can be utilized to target specific brainwave states and induce desired effects such as relaxation, focus, or enhanced creativity. 
Solfeggio frequencies are another fascinating aspect of specific frequencies that have gained attention in recent years. These frequencies, including 396 Hz, 417 Hz, 528 Hz, 639 Hz, 741 Hz, and 852 Hz are believed to have unique properties that resonate with different aspects of our well-being. Each frequency is associated with specific intentions such as releasing negative energy, facilitating change, promoting DNA repair, enhancing relationships, stimulating intuition, and awakening spiritual connections. To explore and experience the multitude of specific frequencies for different body functions and well-being enhancements, a wide range of resources and programs are available. By clicking the link in the description, you can access a comprehensive program that offers an extensive library of sounds, including isochronic tones, binaural beats, solfeggio frequencies, and more. This program provides a convenient and customizable way to select and immerse yourself in the frequencies that resonate with your intentions and desired outcomes. While the concept of altering DNA through specific frequencies is still an area of ongoing exploration, the potential to influence our well-being at a cellular level is both captivating and inspiring. By utilizing specific frequencies such as 432 Hz and solfeggio frequencies and engaging in sound-based therapies, we have the opportunity to create harmonic resonance within ourselves, potentially promoting positive changes in our DNA and overall health. In conclusion, specific frequencies hold immense potential for altering our DNA and enhancing our holistic well-being. Utilizing resources like the program available through the provided link allows you to explore and access a vast array of sounds. By immersing ourselves in these frequencies, we open the door to the transformative power of sound, potentially unlocking the ability to positively influence our DNA and experience profound well-being. Well, there you have it, Jeffro. Something you and I have always been talking about, something we talked about previously in uh, many different podcasts, how frequency can heal, right? How Absolutely. it's tied in with uh, many different things as well as your own physical ailment. Uh, there's a lot of ties there. Um, you know, even, even down to some of... Some of the artists that we know in the past who have tried to leak this information out and their music mysteriously end up dying. Uh, I'll, I'll mention, you know, John Lennon was one of them. He recorded in, uh, I believe one of the, the original uh, Imagine recordings was done in 528. Oh, really? I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah. Nice. Um, uh, I remember sharing a an album with you. I'm, I'm not wasn't really big. Still, I'm not really big into the modern day uh, hip hop scene or whatever. I, I grew up during the old school times, but uh, the Triple Extension. Um, he did a whole album. He did a whole album. Uh, was uh, an, under an enlightened frequency. I got to find out. I'll have to look up. Um, which album it was but uh i mean this all goes hand in hand right it goes all it all goes hand in hand with your mood with the way you think i mean so yeah the music that you listen to has a deep deep impact on your well-being 
yeah, and, and that's sort of at, at the heart of what we're trying to uh, trying to show everybody here. This is like we said at the beginning of the podcast. This for me, whenever I reflect on the stuff, it it becomes a culmination in uh, the science behind it. Too often, whenever you present ideas like this, people quickly dismiss it and they're like oh come on you're one of those you know records play backwards you know demonic type things and people just don't understand the power that frequency has on the body and a person's attitude a person's mindset um this this research that this this uh geneticist susumu ono did he, he was able to to show this in a laboratory and i that's the type of information whenever we talk about conspiracy and, and just anytime we talk about anything that's fringe fascinates me because it gives a, a an element of, of credence of, of credibility to this information. Um, and the thing that I, I came back to right away is some of the some of the pieces of information that we've discussed in the past, uh, for instance, uh, the Greg Braden information when he talked about in the DNA code how God's name is kind of written within the DNA code whenever you look at uh, the DNA strands through gematria, right? Mm-hmm. So there there seems to be a correlation that our DNA is quite possibly something even more important than just the genetic building blocks of, of our biology. It seems like there's an actual spiritual element to the DNA itself. And I, I'd be remiss if I didn't say, and I may have said this already earlier in the podcast, but if you go and you strum a guitar string, you know, you've got these, these really beautiful shorts and uh, like YouTube shorts that I see where people play these 30 second clips and they have a little camera inside of the guitar, uh, you know, bass. And you just see these, strings strumming and i tell you what they they very easily could look like you know the dna strands so that makes again that makes absolutely sense because whenever you hear some of these artists talk about frequency and they talk about uh the manipulation of the music in the music industry. You know, you hear about artists all the time talk about how passionate they are about their music, and once they get into the mainstream, it seems like there's almost a more nefarious type of uh, scenario there. And I almost wonder if it's because you know, deep state Hollywood understands and knows that they could use this to program people. I believe the music is really out there and is specifically targeted to people and specific parts of their mind. I honestly do believe that uh, um, it is used. It can be used for good or bad, just like anything else, right? And I I, I actually have a a video clip. I'll I'll play at the end of this episode, but uh, it's uh, uh, that rap artist's... Gosh, I'm butchering his name. I know I am. But... um, he goes on and on to talk about it, and you know, again, it seems like people who bring this information to light they disappear, and by disappear, I mean end up deceased. So, yeah, if if you're waking up to the idea that you're being programmed or that you're being manipulated, 
what's going to happen? I mean, the masses are going to eventually turn on those who are you know, tricking them, right? Programming, yeah, programming them. You know, the the robots rise, right? Not to say that we're robots, but we're enlightened beings. We really are. Once we figure out what's going on, once people wake up to what's going on, people are going to be upset. They're going to be pretty pissed off. So, that, you know, I can understand why they would want to keep uh, this type of information hush-hush and away from the public. It's not crazy. It really isn't. Once people start to look into it and they understand, you know, the 528 uh, frequency, the 432 frequency, the you know, all the different frequencies and how they target different uh, different parts of the brain and the emotions and the spirit, really. I mean, that's what we're talking about here. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in the video, they talked about how the growth of new cells are affected by different frequencies and we can physically visually see this uh if you want a, an easy visual uh, representation through cymatics which is something that we've talked about before right you know um and and as you you brought us out of the video you talked about healing and then the video talks about healing and you know just to review that my mind automatically went to the the podcast we previous did previously did with uh, Dr. Luke Montagnier whenever we talked about how you could store information in water and you could, you know, send it over the internet, right? And then it could, you know, reacclimate at the other end. And in that video, one of the effects of that technology was they were talking about how they would be able to go ahead and one day you could call your, your doctor and say, hey, listen, you know, I've got a sinus infection, and they would be able to digitally over the phone send you a prescription, and you just have to sit there and listen to it, right? That That's right, part right. of this sending information remotely through, you know, the air um, in, in the in – the, uh, mode of, of water, right? Water structure and information because water can store information, right? And that's again, like you're, you're going to find whenever we review these things, you're going to want to have to step back and, and take a, a, a 10,000 foot view of all this information we're presenting, as we said in the beginning of the podcast, because this stuff all starts to fall into place. Um, when we talk about the power of water, we talk about the power of frequency. This is why it's important. We wanted to go ahead and at least in the first half of this, go ahead and present a lot of the, the science or at least some of the science references that we came across. Uh, so that way, if anybody ever questions you or anybody who's listening to this, if you broach the subject and they're completely dismissive right away, maybe you have a, a way to go ahead and, and go to a few sources. Um, but, you know, Dr. Luc Montaigne, uh, Montagnier talks about it, and they talk about how uh, the you can create inflammation in, in the in the body and the mind. You can go ahead and uh, uh, create immune function and, and a stress response and all this different stuff. Like 528, for example, they talk about 528 can help repair DNA, and that's something that you know I use quite a bit whenever I go to sleep. I, I use the frequencies videos that are on uh, YouTube, right? The 528 yeah. frequencies and the 432 frequencies. And for me, you know, it may not work for everybody, but for me specifically, it, it actually helps me if I'm having a hard time trying to get to sleep. You know, whenever you, you were talking about it, and you were talking about Dr. Montagnier and uh, how it reminds you of his research, um, 
it, it often, you know, and I, and I say it a lot, but it often reminds me of uh, Dr. or, you know, Royal Rife, who made, again, you know, I'll go back to saying, you know, he made the claim that he could cure and proven to cure vigorous cancers with just frequency. And, uh, you know, if anybody out there is a, a sci-fi type of nerd like I am, right? I, I like Star Wars and and different sci-fi movies and TV shows and things like that. And um, what is the one common quote out of Star Trek? What do you hear all the time? Beam me up, right? Who's to say at some point right, yep. we couldn't do the same? You know, on a, on a frequency vibration, it tears down our molecular structure. It's transferred and pop right back to where it used to be. Um, you know, not, that's not saying, you know, you, you want to be holding your puppy or anything like that. Or, you know, remember, remember the movie, the fly, remember the fly when they did that, they were trying to work. Uh, I can't that's remember. A creepy I, movie. I, I think it was like teleportation. They were trying to work with it. And a fly got in there and he got all fucked up, but yeah, uh, again, I'm going off. Uh, I'm going off the rails with this one, but, uh, you know, there's all sorts of things to think about um, when you're talking about that. But, the, you know, there's there's a fine line between science fiction and science fact, right? And that's I think that's one of the reasons why a lot of people right. like myself like science fiction. Because it's like, well, maybe. Is it really that far-fetched when you start looking into these things? No, it's not. No. And I, I wanted to bring everybody's attention to, to an article that I came across. Um, and it's uh, something that um, – I'm just going to read the abstract real quick. This paper uh, written by John Stuart Reed, and it's about settled energies and energy medicines since this all sort of goes along with you know medicine and, and, and how – it can affect our everyday, you know, especially frequencies like 432 and 528. Um, there's a research into this idea called SPEC. It's a capital S-P-E-E-C. And uh, what it stands for is sonic propagation of electromagnetic energies and components. Um, this is only – this is real short. So in this abstract on this paper that's uh, – believe was on the NIH website so take that for what it is but it was uh, published in 2006 uh, in, in this paper we explore the nature of sound and light and the special relationship that exists between these two seemingly unrelated forms of energy the terms sound waves and electromagnetic magnetic waves are examined these commonly used expressions it is held misrepresent scientists and may have misrepresent science and may have delayed new discoveries a hypothetical model is proposed for the mechanism that creates this electromagnet electromagnetism named sonic propagation of electromagnetic energy components the spec or spec hypothesis states that all sounds have an electromagnetic component and that all electromagnetism is created as a consequence of sound uh, Speck also predicts that the electromagnetism created by sound propagation through air will be modulated by the same sound paradosities uh, that created the electromagnetism, uh, electromagnetism itself. The implications for Speck are discussed within the context of this therapeutic sound and light. And uh, there's a, a book that's posted on this website called Subtle Energies and Energy Medicine, uh, Volume 17, Article Number 3. Um, so this is something that 
has been in the science literature and medical literature for what 15 years now or 18 18 years since 2006 but yet the stuff on the fringe always seems to be dragged whenever there's a chance to have a quantum leap in in therapies it's almost like there's a uh, an entity that has uh how can i say uh alter motives and don't don't want the the general public to be healthy almost like there's a uh, powerful monetary propagation, you know, something like big pharma that just is not interested right. in in actually allowing the public to discover these new technologies. And you know, that's sort of what we want to bring with this episode. You know, uh, focusing on on two specific frequencies, but make no mistakes. There's a lot of frequencies out there that are have different attributes and, and components to them that'll help you in different facets of your life. Yeah, definitely explore, do some research and uh, see what you can find. There's to your point, there's a lot of different frequencies out there. You know, I go back to the podcast we did whenever we were doing the, uh, the float pods, whenever you and I went to go to do the float pods, which was really cool. And I, gosh, I wish we could go back. I wish I could go back. It is so long ago and I really do need to go back. But, um, I, one of the questions I asked was, you know, cause you, you can go in this float pod and you can float and you can, you know, listen to music while you're floating, whatever. And I asked, I said, well, you know, what about frequencies? You know, would you, would you be able to play certain frequencies? And I, I thought, you know, wouldn't that be really cool to find, you know, a frequency of total relaxation while you're floating in zero gravity? I mean, that would just, to me, that'd be so comforting and relaxing. So, something I definitely want to try. Definitely I mean, need to you get almost would there. have a... Right, I would assume you almost would have a spiritual sort of epiphany. Almost like a DMT trip. Like, that's the only thing I would... Ha- experiencing that myself if you have another stimulus like that that you're you know you're using to to stimulate your consciousness man that i think you're absolutely right that would be that would be trippy dude definitely be able to do both of those things at the same time i definitely want to give it a go i want to try it out okay and then um real quick i wanted to go ahead and uh we want to introduce one more video before we end this episode, I, I know this episode has been pretty long and, and uh, it's been a while since we've been able to put out some information. But what I wanted to do was we wanted to we wanted to present some of the science and some of the, the sort of music correlation and hypothesis with this. And we wanted to go ahead and, and meld over a little bit to maybe the spiritual side of it, too. And we're going to end on this. Um, but we have a video uh, that we're gonna we're gonna play here, and on the other side of it, we're gonna discuss some of the the elements within that video. So, uh, Mario, if you have that video, you want to go ahead and and insert that here. Cue up the video.
In the beginning was the Word. And God said, Let there be light. Most in the West are familiar with the Christian concept, in the beginning was the Word. God spoke the Word and the world into existence. What most don't realize is that, for example, in ancient Egypt, they taught the same thing. There was Ptah, the god of technology, who went into his heart and felt the world and then spoke it into existence. Almost universally, ancient texts and traditions have always placed sound at the core of not only our existence, but the existence of the entire universe. And it begins with the powerful seed syllable, the ancient Om, which originally was never spoken, but it was felt in the body. And this is where the relationship between sound and vibration becomes very important because ultimately sound is only a vibration brought into an audible range. In the Hindu tradition, the word was with Brahman and the word was Brahman. The very first Hebrew letter, Aleph, which starts the whole process. It's also like an outbreath. It's like, you know, it's a sound. The sound is like the expression of the thought from that universal mind or that divine source. The thoughts being expressed out through the sound, which then manifests material universe, material world. When we come over into the Americas, the Pueblo Indians, talk about the spider, how she sang the world into existence. In Aztec mythology, the god Quetzalcoatl used a conch shell to create the vibration that formed the first wave of life. The Inuit say the raven made the world and the waters with the beat of his wings. So it seems that no matter where we go or what time period, there's a belief that sound was fundamental to creation. And equally remarkable, our own genesis as human beings may well have started in a similar way. When that embryo becomes less than a millimeter in size, right, very close to a millimeter, but not quite a millimeter, the embryo already starts to develop the first aspects of the inner ear. So the very first sense organ that is developed within the embryo is the inner ear. But then at 16 to 24 weeks, the neurodevelopment has taken place to a point where all my five senses come online except my eyes are closed and I'm in the dark and my nose and mouth are filled with fluids, so those aren't active. But sound travels through water five times better than through air. So my total experience when I'm in the wound is hearing and vibration sense. That sound 
coming in to the fetus, to the embryo, is essential for the development of the fetus. The mother's voice, as well as voices and sounds from the environment outside, the language that is spoken by the mother, by the father, those things are being heard by that developing fetus. And as they're coming in through its own ears, it's wiring its nervous system. There are three times as many connections from the ears to the brain as there are from the eyes to the brain. So the sounds coming in through the ears feed the neurological system. The auditory nerve directly connects to every organ in the body. It's like we're baptized in sound and vibration and water. And we all have our own mini evolution that takes place. We all have our own Big Bang. In the beginning was the void, and all of a sudden there was an explosion of me. Those sounds that it continues to hear and learn develop its perceptions, it develops personality, it develops the way the mind thinks based on the language they speak, and so forth. The Gnostics believed that it was our soul that manifests our physical body. Our physical body is made in the image of God, and its purpose ultimately is a vehicle for the soul as it moves its way through this matrix. Sound is the first sense to develop in the womb and the last sense to go when we die. Many ancient cultures had practices for midwiving birth and death using sound, music, spoken or sung prayers, knowing the importance of these critical thresholds. That's very powerful because then that means that hearing and sound must be coming directly from source and that perhaps sound as the first sense is the way that we can most directly connect with source. Many traditions around the world use symbols, instruments, and songs to express their origins. In the Gnostic tradition, existence is represented as a circle with a dot in the center. Countless lines radiate from the dot. The periphery is considered to be the underworld, actually our waking life, also known as the dream of separation. The lines connecting to the center represent a state closer to who we really are. The center point represents our core existence, which we can connect to in deep sleep. The aboriginals, whose name means essentially in the beginning, are the oldest living culture on earth. They've been playing the didgeridoo for at least 150,000 years. And what they do is they take this root and they hollow it out and they make it into almost like a bugle. 
the tones and the frequencies that come out of it are spaced out in a way that actually encode information. And they say that the sound of the didgeridoo connects us to the dream time where the ancestors reside and where we come from before birth and where we go after we die. Australian Aborigines speak of song lines or song paths that were sung by their primordial ancestor spirits who walked across the landscape, singing its landforms into being. For the Aborigines, these songs are ongoing and need to keep being sung. Song lines are vibratory paths that exist in a kind of parallel dimension that the Aboriginals use to navigate over vast territories and to gain knowledge. It wasn't until I took a trip to Tibet and went into a number of the monasteries high in the Himalayas that I began to understand the mystical secret of sound and its relationship to creation. What I saw were series of mandalas that were placed on the walls. And the monks told me, this is the secret. And I said, well, well, what does that mean? How does it work? And he said, a long time ago, we had no way to record sound. But we know that if we project sound into matter, it will create a pattern. So what you see on the temple walls are the patterns that are reminding the monks and the nuns that if they create a very specific sound to match that pattern, then they are reproducing the sound of their ancestors. Many ancient cultures put a sacred or special value on song and the spoken word. We're talking about words, we're talking about spelling, and so we're talking about casting spells. That's why they call it spell-ing. And so words have power. The ancients really knew this, so they chose their words very, very carefully. Words were really handpicked because they understood the power of words. There was a time, not long ago, where humans could say, my word is as good as gold, and it was as good as a signed contract. The power to create with language comes from absolute coherence, alignment, and integrity between what we think, say, and do. By the words that we speak, we are influencing that field and that manifestation process. But there's certain words, certain power words, certain ancient divine words that were often held very secret because of the power they possess that were often used in ceremony, magical operations, and so forth. Even in modern times, scholars and inventors, such as Nikola Tesla, have pondered the many deep and mysterious roles that sound plays in the creation process. Tesla had a quote, and I'm paraphrasing, that if you want to understand the secrets of the universe, that you have to think of it in terms of energy, frequency, and vibration. I really think he was touching on something really important, really fundamental, that matter is not a thing. There's actually no thing in what we call things, matter. 
there is actually just energy vibration frequency oscillations when you look at an atom really really close you don't see little billiard balls the atom is made out of 99.9999999% space and the part that's not space is a little electromagnetic field that's fluctuating and to think of that as something solid is incorrect. Can we be fooled by what we think we see? A pivotal figure in ancient Greece warned of the dangers of believing what we perceive with our eyes. Plato is considered the father of Western philosophy, and he believed that we don't live in the real world, that we live in the shadow of the real world. And he conceived an allegory called the cave. And in this allegory, he described a group of prisoners who were shackled together. Behind the prisoners was a fire. And in between the fire and the prisoners were other people who were playing with puppets that were casting shadows on the wall. The prisoners all believed that the shadows that they were seeing represented the real world. And then in his allegory, Plato allowed one of the prisoners to escape. He went out into the real world and then returned and was actually blinded by the light of the real world. Seeing this, the prisoner said, whoa, we, we, we want to stay in the shadow world. We don't want to be blinded by the light. And this became a, a, a way of describing our relationship to, to reality. Is it possible that our sense of hearing is more dependable than our sense of sight? In Eastern cultures, the ear is considered to be more receptive, yin, and feminine, while the eyes are considered to be more active, yang, and masculine. The current age we live in has placed more emphasis on yang or visual information than on information we receive from being receptive and listening. If we hear two tones that are one hertz apart, we can hear the difference as a kind of pulsing binaural beat. But if we look at two colors that are one nanometer apart, we cannot discern the difference visually. So this implies that the ears are more accurate sense perception than the eyes. American-British scientist David Bohm said the world we see is like a holographic image, a kind of external tapestry of impressions composed of interference patterns of waves. What he did was he recognized that patterns tended to show up repeatedly and why would that be? Why would there be patterns? After pondering that for many years, he came up with a beautiful description of the way he viewed the world, which involved something that he called the implicate order. But what it means essentially is that there is something there that already exists. It's pre-existing and it needs to be activated. So that's where the sound comes in as a creative essence. If you take a tuning fork and you hit it up against a crystal, 
you are going to resonate the fork and the crystal. And they're both going to be oscillating in a phase of coherency and incoherency. But at some point, they're going to come into coherency. They're going to be in sympathetic resonance. There's something implicit in that crystal that will respond to that tuning fork. So that's what the implicate order means. Today, people understand that we live in a matrix. And they understand that sometimes that matrix is not a very comfortable place. And they're looking for ways to go beyond the matrix. And what we're discovering is that sound is perhaps the key, literally, of life. It's the key to opening the door to higher realities. It's the key to opening doors within ourselves. So intimately, we know that the way through the matrix is to raise our vibration. How do we raise our vibration? The universe offers many hidden clues, some of which have to do with sound and mathematics. Spiritual teacher and philosopher George Gurdjieff traveled the globe, uncovering some of these ancient puzzle pieces. Gurdjieff was a Russian mystic and composer who devised what he called the Law of Threes, which essentially states that for any phenomena to come into existence, you have to have what he described as a holy affirming, a holy denying, and then a holy reconciling force. And unless all three forces are present, a phenomena is not going to manifest in reality. Every number in creation is part of a sequence in which a, another aspect of divine power becomes expressed into the world. So there's a particular power of one, power of two, and three then is the next in the sequence. After we go from the unity to the division into polarity, polarity allows movement to take place. It allows attraction and repulsion. It allows evolution to take place. An ordinary or mundane example of the law of three is your car. Your car has three gears. It has a forward gear, it has a reverse gear, and a neutral gear. All three are essential. The third element between the two opposite polarities could simply be neutral between positive and negative. It could also be understood, though, as the particular union of the positive and negative, like a masculine and feminine, to then create a child. That's what you would see in something like the Egyptian tradition, where you would see that the two components would be Shekmet on one side as the feminine component, Ptah on the other as the masculine component, and when they unite, they create Nefertum, the beauty or fullness of creation as their child. The second ancient law that Gurdjieff references is the law of octaves. This says that all vibrations moving through matter and through man ascend, descend, grow stronger or weaker, precisely as a musical octave develops. Gurdjieff says the whole universe is structured in octaves. I think he's actually accurate because the whole universe is vibrational. 
Therefore, octaves are a fundamental part, a doubling of vibration infinitely, perhaps, basically the structure of the universe. The human cell is one such example. If we just look at the cell, as that cell becomes fertilized with that seed of life, the cell starts to take on a kind of a resonance, a frequency, we could say a sound even. And then as it starts to multiply itself, the one divides through the cell mitosis, it becomes two. That's that one to two ratio is the same that we could relate to the octave. There's a harmonic ratio that's starting to happen there. We have the one to the two, the two to the four, the four to the eight, the eight to the 16, the 16 to 32. So it keeps doubling. So it's following this harmonic sequence. You can also see a lot of correlations between the cell division and the flower of life, which is a sacred geometry. So you have the one and then it divides and it becomes two and you have the two kind of overlapping, you have the vesica Pisces, and then you have the four. And then as you get seven and eight, you start to form that seed of life from the center of the flower of life. The same rules that govern harmony and sound and music are the same rules that apply to sacred geometry and what becomes beautiful and harmonic and life-enhancing within the geometric forms. We've got seven notes in an octave, do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, si. And when you look at the mathematics, you see certain things show up there that we see reflected in how the universe is constructed. For instance, when you look at a piano and you see there's two black keys and then three black keys and two black keys and three black keys, and there's two white keys with a missing black key, right? Why is that? Why aren't there black keys in between each one? That's what Gurdjieff called the Mi-Fa bridge. Do, Re, Mi, Fa. Mi and Fa is a half step instead of a full step. Full step, full step, full step, half step. Full step, full step, full step at the octave, half step. Two links where we have half steps. It's why there's no straight lines in nature. When the branch is growing, it's going through is Do, Re, Mi. The, the seed is splitting open, Do. A little shoot comes up, pushes through the soil, that's Ray. Then a stalk starts to foam, that's me. It can't bridge the me fa gap. And so it just starts another doll. And that's why when it gets up to this point, it forks. And each of those forks forks, and each of those forks forks, and that forms a fractal pattern. Gurdjieff's Mi-Fa Bridge could be compared to what ancient Greek philosopher Pythagoras referred to as the diatonic comma. In Egyptian times, they understood that there was a particular gap between the archetypal blueprint for creation that exists on a higher plane level, and it's actually manifesting down through multiple planes until it crystallizes that pattern into a physical structure. And there's often at least a slight incongruence between the perfect ideal form and how it manifests on the physical plane. 
The idea of Pythagorean comma was then used to illustrate the idea that everything to manifest in the physical world is just a little bit off its actual perfect archetype. But in the Egyptian tradition, it was understood that that slight imperfection is what made it completely unique and beautiful. And that if things were 100% the pattern of the true ideal higher archetype, it may simply disappear from physical creation to begin with. Like in the creation of a pearl, or in the seeding of a crystal, these slight imperfections allow the formation of fractals, a pattern you see again and again throughout the universe. In the 1970s, mathematician Benoit Mandelbrot was working with the newly developing personal computers, and especially working with graphics. They started plugging equations into the computer and out popped these graphics that are called fractals. And what they noticed is that no matter how many times they repeated this equation, that the fractal was a mirror image at every level of magnification. What's interesting about this is that if they wanted to change any aspect of the fractal, they had to go back to the original equation and change it. Now, when they were working with the Mandelbrot set, they noticed that the Mandelbrot set resembled a meditating Buddha. So they went back in and changed the equation and came up with what they call the Buddha bra. Now, this is really extraordinary because it tells us that if we're made in the image of God, that perhaps we are fractals of our creator. And this aligns perfectly with Buddhism that we're all trying to return to our original and divine nature. Author and scientist Michael Hayes said that the resonance between biology and cosmology shows that life is music, complete with overtones. And it's no more strikingly present than in the helical structure of life itself, DNA. Hayes called this finding the Hermetic Code. Hermes is the Greek name for the Egyptian god Thoth. He's the god of magic and alchemy, and also is connected with the concept of passing through portals and gateways. When the Greeks talked about Hermes, they were referring to this ultimate ancient knowledge, which is called the Emerald Tablet. Most famous in the Emerald Tablet is the second verse that says, as above, so below. What it means is that everything is in correspondence, that what happens on Earth has a counterpart in the heavenly realms. In the Bible, this is part of the Lord's Prayer, on Earth as it is in heaven. That's a hermetic expression, an expression of his law of correspondences. And essentially it says that you and I are a fractal of all of creation. We're essentially a printout of the cosmos. That what happens within us also happens in the greater cosmos and vice versa. The Jewish Kabbalistic tree offers a similar message. The Kabbalistic tree is typically described not just as one tree, but a set of four trees that are tied at the root. 
In the Kabbalistic tradition, it was described as a mirroring, as above, so below, type of relationship between these four trees that were tied to the same sephirot at the center. What we found was that the center of each one of those trees at the root that connected them was this first analytical solution to gravity. So that gravity is the hub, is the force that holds all of the knowledge together, right? All of the information together. Without gravity, nothing would coalesce. Nothing would become one thing. It would all fly apart and nothing would be able to like make a star, make a galaxy, make a planet, or even a proton. And so as above, so below has this aspect that all of the higher aspects of creation are mirrored into the physical world in which we live. And once we understand that core pattern through the use of sacred geometry, then we can see how both of these are going to be connected and how our actions on the physical world connect to and affect the higher worlds and how the higher worlds create and sustain and affect us here on this level. Another way to look at it is that a drop of water contains the ocean and the ocean contains a drop of water. Everything in the universe is entangled. The information of all the protons in the universe is present in one proton because they are all entangled to each other. We know in laboratory that two particles can be entangled in such a way that even if the other one is on the other side of the universe, if you modify this one, if you tickle this one, the other one will laugh. It's instantaneous. Cause and effect is one of the many principles of the universe. Is sound the cause of creation? Or is it the effect of creation? If you want to look at it from the quantum physics idea, is sound a particle or a wave? Well, the answer is, of course it is. It is both. It is causal, it is effectual, and it affects us as well as effects us. Ancient cultures used the metaphor that the universe is actually a cosmic symphony singing a song to the Creator. As ancient wisdom aligns with modern science, this concept is supported by quantum theory, which also proposes that the cosmos is a kind of symphony of vibrations. Many ancient cultures believed our unique role was to play our particular note as perfectly as possible to make the creation complete. This translates as be who you are. Okay, everybody. So this is where it starts getting fun for me, right? Um, in the beginning, right? Uh, some of the things that really struck me whenever I initially saw that video was it talks about how it's very similar 
in all ancient religions about how they talk about there was a spoken word. There was some sort of frequency, some sort of verbalization that created the physical world, right? And, and as we talk, constantly talk about, Mario, uh, physical reality is physical reality without vibration, right? Right. And, and, and the Bible talks about this. Uh, some of the other things that really struck me was they talked about how in the Pueblo Native Americans, they talked about how in the beginning the spider sang the world into existence. And what struck me was, again, everybody, if, if you go back to some of the earlier podcasts, whenever we talked about the universe and whenever that universal photo was taken, it was kind of like the, the mirror image of what a pool looks like, right? It looked like a huge spider web. You know, it's funny you right? say that. Do you remember, um, gosh, how long has it been? It's been a few months. Do you remember when you came over to my house and I was like, uh, we were talking about different movies and everything and, you know, how some of them had deeper meanings. And I mentioned to you a movie that was uh, aimed towards children, but it had a much, much deeper meaning. And I said, well, you know, let's watch it. You know, you, you got to watch this movie. It's going to blow your mind. And uh, I, I turned on The Last Mimsy. Now, right. again, you know, I, I know a lot of... You've never seen it. I, I, again, a lot of our listeners out there, I say, I can't say it enough. It is one of my all-time favorite movies. Such a great movie. And uh, as soon as it opens up, you know, the title comes on, The Last Mimsy, and the little I is the Fibonacci on it. And one of the things in this movie that happens is the little boy is speaking to a spider through frequency. Do you remember that? Now that you say he, it, yeah, now I do remember. His, okay. And he was controlling, well, not controlling, but just speaking to the spider, and the spider was spinning different types of designs that, uh, you know, he was speaking to the spider, and the spider was, I don't know, maybe talking back to him. It, it was on a different frequency, but he had that ability. Right? Yeah, and it's so cool that you say that because, uh, real quick, one of the other things that they talk about was Quetzalcoatl, you know, the beginning of the Aztecs, right? Or, or their, their origin story. And whenever they talked about how he created the physical plane, they talked about blowing into a conch shell. Well, mm. the conch shell is always used in spiritualism, right, as the Fibonacci sequence, right? So this is why at the beginning of the podcast, I wanted everybody to understand something really important because this is biology, this is science. This is spiritualism. This is theoretical, right? You know, uh, this is stuff that all these different disciplines, they all come and they make sense. So in this here video, they talk about how the inner ear is the first organ that's developed within the fetus. And real quick, right? when you're and talking about the conch the shell, while, while you were talking about the conch shell and that scene and that movie – the little girl has a conch shell. They're on the beach. Do you remember that? Uh, yeah. See, dude, that, that's why I really enjoy those types of movies. I and mean, you're, you're bringing this back to me now. And, uh, yeah, that that's very interesting. You know, the conch shell has that, that spiral Fibonacci sequence. And there's a lot of symbolism in a movie like that. You know, and they, they 
you know, they marketed it as a kids movie, but those of us who were really interested in sort of the, uh, uh, again, I guess the fringe parts of spiritualism, you'll, you'll come across a movie like that. And, you know, I remember watching that movie with you and I, I started picking up things right away. And, and let's not forget, you know, you talk about the spiral in the movie, the Mimsy, and that's exactly what the inner ear looks like. That's what the cochlea inside the inner ear is. Yeah. And us humans, along with the other mammals, this is part of our development that makes us so unique. Um, and why I think things like frequency, we, we can – maybe the ear isn't just about hearing, right? We, we talk about the ear hearing this and hearing that, but, but the ear is very much more than – a sensory audible organ it's a it's a frequency organ um again we haven't done much on on uh, cryptids yet but they talk about infrared uh attacks from uh, possible entities like bigfoot right and how things like you know vibration and and infrared kind of paralyzes people right the the, the ear senses more than just sound and i think that goes and people don't really you know, understand that constantly, uh, or, or or really take time to, to think about it. Also, um, the ear has three more times connections between the brain than any other organ in the body, right? And, and the ear is connected to every other nervous system in the body, and it's the only organ that, that is connected to that. Uh, other than I have to imagine it's the brain, but the the information that they present in the video, the ear is. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't. And again, I don't know. I don't know if I agree with that completely, though, Jeffro, because I get told a lot that I think with my dick. <laughs> well, it's it's now. I actually have a connection, sort of, to that. <laughs> um, was was interesting as we came out. Uh, the most recent video before this was we, we talk about the sacred feminine and the sacred masculine, and that's something that we're going to kind of morph into uh, in the next episode where we continue this, this series. But uh, since you brought that up, one of the things that people talk about and one of the things that ancient cultures talk about, and, and it's sorting, sort, of, sort of playing out, is the fact that the eyes are something that is connected to the sacred masculine and the ears are something that are connected to the sacred feminine. Now, let, let me ask you a question. If that's the case, is it so abnormally strange that men, when selecting mates, are very visual, right? Their eyes, you know, they use their eyes and they're, you know, they're more selective when it comes to reproduction with physical traits. Whereas, if it's true that women tend to, you know, gravitate more towards their ears, it's, you know, women like being seduced with with poetry and and their senses and their, you know, they're they're more seemingly um, select mates through how they feel around a guy, right? So it's it's almost like there's this dichotomy, right? There's this there's this co um, like this almost like this co-creating of whenever you know mates are selected we almost tend to gravitate towards uh, these disciplines or, or or these sort of facets uh that kind of have been 
described in the past without us even realizing, right? So, you know, you kind of joke about that. But what's interesting to me is men are more visual, more are more attracted through, you know, visual stimulation, whereas women are more uh, audibly stimulated, more vibrationally stimulated, right? So there seems to be a, a connection there, right? I mean, if that's true, you know, fellas, shoot your shot, right? Just be an easy speaker. <laughs> right. 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 Absolutely. Um, one of the other things I wanted to uh, touch base on was, you know, we talk about quite a bit uh, about Tesla talking about how 369, if you want to understand the universe, if you can understand the importance and the power of those three numbers, 369. And this will also play into uh, this episode later on. But, you know, that nine, if you were to get a whole number out of the number 432, 432 becomes that nine from 432. You add them up as nine. Um, 528, right? You add the five, the two, the eight, you get 15. And then, then again, you want to, you try to get to a single whole number. You add the one and the five, you get a six. So there's your nine and six. Right. And that's that's one of the reasons why I think those two frequencies play such a dynamic part uh, in affecting us as humans. Right. And then you come to the three. Right. The power of the three. And they talk about uh, David Bohm in this uh, episode. Right. And I pulled up his information, quick information on him. Um, he, he viewed quantum physics. Uh, in the old Cartesian model, where reality are two kinds of substances, the mental and the physical, and that somehow they interact um, to complement each other. And he developed a mathematical and physical theory of the implicate order. And, you know, I, I've, I've discussed on this podcast plenty of times that I've, I've sort of come to a very similar uh, revelation on my own spiritual journey, right? I constantly talk about 369. I constantly talk about the Fibonacci sequence. I, I talk about, you know, 12 and 21, right? Um, they also talk about the, the you know, through cell mitosis and cell division, uh, the, the patterns of twos, right? The, the implicate order or octaves, which is what George Kerchief was talking about in this most recent video, uh, the 2, 4, 8, 16, 32. Or you can also go into the angel numbers, that people who are very uh, – anytime they, lo they look at a phone or, or they look at you know, a, a clock or something, they seemingly see these angel numbers constantly pop up like 1111 or 1212 right? or you know, 333 or something like that. So these angel numbers, are, they're doubles, like they're 11, 22, 33, 44, 55, and these numbers seemingly pop up at meaningful times in individuals' lives. So this is sort of what the implicate order is talking to, is talking to these repetitive numbers that constantly pop up everywhere. And they pop up so often. It's not coincidence. You and I talk about coincidence a lot. There's no way everything can be coincidence. You're talking about different disciplines here. And seemingly, especially 369, pops up constantly. Um, George Gurdjieff also talks about the power of threes. And George Gurdjieff was a, a Russian um, philosopher. And, uh, you know, the beginning of the power of threes is 
the most simplest mother, father, child, unless, you know, you're a twin or triplet, but basically mother, father, you know, seed is another way to look at it. If you want to skip over the intricacies of that. And, uh, again, there's the implement of three, you know, the three, six, nine. So what I wanted to do was sort of maybe get your opinion a little bit on, on all this different stuff. Um, and before I hand it over to you, Mario, the, the idea of the Mendelbrot pattern, the Mendelbrot system, which is a, a visual stimulation of a triangle on 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 a triangle, going to each vertice, going to each point, drawing another triangle. And then over millions and millions of, of computations of this, you get these geometrical shapes. And you'll see these Mandelbrot systems on on – TV or whatever, and they, they have these really psychedelic DMT type visual, visualizations where you can go all the way down. Like you, you can you, you just keep going down at like a dark hole, and the 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 cyst or the uh, Mandelbrot visualization is is like a vortex that never ends. It's it's infinite. Um, well, which, I you know. I remember. I, I really, you know, we we probably could do a whole new episode on the mental broad system. Yeah, I I even remember, and again, I'm going to bring up the movie, right? Um, there's even a scene in the movie where uh, a woman breaks out this book that has different designs from the Mandelbrot system, and she starts talking about it. Um, yeah, again, deeper meaning type of movie. I don't know if you remember this or not. Do you remember? We used to get these books when we were kids that had, uh, you know, different consistent designs on them. And if you stared at them long enough, they would be three-dimensional. Do you remember those books? Yeah, 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 absolutely. So I'm kind of reminded of, of these different things also is that uh, you kind of touch home with me and, you know, my, my childhood and when I'm looking at these different things. So once... Once you know what to look for in these different things and, uh, you know, like you and I talk about it, not always negative, but, you know, yeah, once you know what to look for as far as the negative things going on in the world, but once you know what to look for as far as the positive things going on around you as well, it's, uh, it's impossible to turn it off. It's, 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 an, it's an awakening, right? Right. Well, it, yeah, absolutely. Um, you, you go back to the, the, the movie The Last Mimsy, one of the things that was uh, played a prominent part in that movie, if you remember, were the mandalas, right? The the mm -hmm. triangle shapes, and that's sort of uh, a, a good physical representation of uh, what the Mandelbrot system is. Now, I'm going to post the, the, the reference material here on the Discord, and they actually uh, – in that video – where Greg Braden is talking about whenever he was talking to the indigenous tribes before they had the ability to record sound. Um, they, they actually used the mandalas as representative sound waves. And that was one of the ways of them recording pitches. So it's interesting that you pick up on that because that's exactly what the, the ancient Tibetans used were those mandalas and those mandalas were, uh, a prominent part in that movie, The Last Mimsy. So, without even realizing, the, the movie The Last Mimsy kind of played an integral part in the episode here. 
It's really, it's such a good movie. And again, I can't talk it up enough. Um, gosh, if you're out there and you're listening, find that movie. Find it, watch it. I don't even know. Yeah, I'm going to look up on my phone to see if, uh, you know, a lot of times you Google a movie or whatever, they'll give you ways to watch it. I'm going to see if there are ways to watch The Last Mimsy so our listeners can find a way to watch it instead of just going, hey, you guys mentioned this movie and uh, there's no way to watch it. The Last Mimsy. So while you're looking for that, Mario, what I think I could do here is I can go ahead and and sort of uh, maybe lead us into the next episode. Uh, what I wanted to do was follow the same line, the same path that we ended up here with the spiritual side of things, and I wanted to I wanted to throw a few things out there. Um, so in the next episode, we're going to kind of look at this divine ratio of man. Okay, so as this last video talked about constantly was as above so below right the reflection of god in man right uh we're we're the mirror image of the creator whoever the creator may be right um whenever you go ahead and and you look at that you you can't you can't help but to assume and ask where do correlations like this where are they found in nature? And one of the things that I think is really interesting is I came across some of these stats and uh, wanted to go ahead and present these and then at the same time sort of ask people to think back to a previous episode that we did. So if I were to ask you, Mario, uh, how much of the planet is covered with water? What would uh, your assumption be or you know, rough guesstimate be? Um, I don't know how much of it is covered in water. Correct. I don't know. Um, hmm. Okay. All right, listeners, I'm going to sound real stupid here, but I'm going to throw a number at Jeff Rowe. I'm going to say 70%. You're, you're, you're dang close. Would, would it be crazy if I were to throw a number of 72% out at you? Wow, I was close. Yeah, but I mean, what's interesting about that again is the correlation of that to man being that again you get different numbers, you know, different numbers for men and women, but essentially the average is right around seventy-two percent of our body is actually water. Again, we're talking about the ratio of man, the the divine ratio of man, right? Um. Almost as if we are a, a mirror image of sort of our home, right? Something else that's pretty interesting that I found was if everybody remembers now. Now the other thing I'm going to talk about this other number ratio, and this is a number ratio we're going to dive into in the next episode is 95 and five. Anybody who's listened to us, uh, if if you guys have followed any of Joseph, Dr. Joseph Dispenza's work or Dr. Bruce Lipton's work, they talk about the 95% of our consciousness is, is subconscious and uh, related to the sacred feminine, right? Or, or the um, magnetic 
part of our existence, the magnetic part of our, our reality. And they talk about the 5% being uh, conscious, your conscious waking state. And anytime you want to go ahead and, and try to change habits, you know, or, you know, manifest things, if you try too much to exist in the 5% of your conscious brain, you, you, things won't work out in your favor. You, what you've got to do is you've got to do those practices in the subconscious, you know, that first 10 or 15 minutes when you wake up and that last 10 or 15 minutes before you go to sleep, right? And uh, for anybody who, who knows their work, this is what's something that they talk about constantly because the subconscious is the womb, is the birthplace of creation, right? The, the, the male consciousness sort of is the one that generates the, the will or, or the, the, the scaffolding of the creation, but it, it's, it's not birthed unless you put it in, in the subconscious. You know, this is the idea of the first seven years of a child, you know, being programmed in their subconscious mind, right? Now, what I find interesting about that 95 to 5 ratio, if, if you reflect back to the episode of the Anunnaki, okay? And you talk about their origin story and their creation story. 95 to 96% of the Earth's water is salt water. Okay? Mm -hmm. Like 4 to 5% of the Earth's water is fresh water. So mm -hmm. if we're using this ratio, ratio of 95 to 5 95 being feminine and 5 being masculine remember it was Tiamat who was the goddess of the salt water and it was Abzu who was the god of fresh water so again you have this now you, you, you have another correlation between what was taught in the past in a seemingly unrelated connection between uh, the feminine and the masculine and these ratios continuously pop up you know the conscious the subconscious uh, where where creation is is you know uh, nurtured and and you know I don't know it, it's in my mind it, some some of these connections there's there's no way how you, you constantly come through this and and when we continue the episode we're also going to uh, correlate this to a lot of connections in the Bible as well uh, and and I think what we're going to do is also bring in some of the uh, information that Neville Goddard also talked about. Because again, they talk about the sacred feminine, the sacred masculine, this 95 to 5 ratio, um, and how that all correlates to the ratio of man. And what I mean by ratio to man is if any of this has any validity, we have to assume that they're like the mirror image of heaven or the mirror image of God. There has to be some sort of uh, as above, so below. Right. And right. whenever we think about that, we think one to one, but it might not be one to one. The ratio may be the same, 
but at a smaller ratio, right? Like a one to 32 scale or a one to four 32 scale, like the pyramids. So uh, I kind of feel myself getting into it a little bit too much. This episode has already gone quite a, quite a while, and I appreciate everybody's patience. But uh, if you're willing to stay with us for another episode, it's going to get really interesting. Yeah, um, Jeffro, this one I, I again I agree with you. I think we've uh, we've provided some pretty good information in this episode. We moved on for long enough with this one. I uh, just want to give a, a little shout out to our listeners out there. We haven't forgot you. We're still here. We're trying to make things work. We're trying to find the time to get things done, uh, as well as just to adjust to the different things that uh, the universe has thrown at us as well. Um, the last Mimsy, you can watch it. Uh, you can watch it on YouTube. Google Play, Apple TV, Redbox. With they have a Redbox online? That's crazy. Voodoo, Amazon Prime, and every one of these is like three bucks to watch it. And let me tell you, it's probably one of the better three dollars that you're gonna spend. I spent more than that on lunch, so definitely check it out. It's uh, it's you will not be disappointed. It's well worth your time. Um, Jeffro, I'm gonna play that uh, that video clip at the end here from that triple uh, X whatever the hell his name was poor guy let him rest in peace but uh, you know he speaks about the the uh, influences of music into uh, into the mind and things like that and how he's been messing around with it for quite some time and people know about it which is scary but also enlightening once you understand so Jeffro, is that all you got, buddy? Absolutely. That's all I got, guys. All right. Well, hang in there. We're going to get another one out to you, we promise. Um, But until then. Until then, Mario. Sometimes it's to help people find themselves because music is frequency programming. Music is frequency. What frequency are you being fed? I will hope. I will hope a motherfucker before they go pull some negative shit out. This conversation, they go pull. They pull this part. This part of the conversation, and then see that I'm really, really, actually helping people, bro. I'm got. Like, let me. Let me. Let me. Let me. Let me. Let me be detailed. At 15 years old, I was doing um, sound engineering. So I was playing with frequency. I was playing with equalizers. Now, I think I think it's a, 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 a it's not a sonar wave. It's, or it's a, I forgot. It's like an alpha wave or a sonar wave or something like that. I basically I figured I figured out that hertz is to understand the frequency vibration, right? So there's kilohertz. Well, sorry, there's hertz, kilohertz, megahertz, right? And then there's, I think it's ultrahertz. If I play with those frequencies, right, I can target certain parts of the mind, target the frequency to go to certain parts of the mind, and I can literally, like, if I want you to astral project, right? You know what astral projection is? No. If I want you to ask, if I want you to astral project, or if I want you to go to sleep, 
or if I want you to go into a meditative state, I can make my music do that. These little niggas out here don't give a fuck enough to go into that science, bro. These little niggas ain't studying kilohertz, megahertz, and doing all this shit. These little niggas don't know how to equalize, compress, and do all this shit. And the ones that do, okay, maybe you, maybe your music not good enough to, to where it got to where it, or maybe you not real enough. Maybe your goal's not good enough. Sorry. There's some people out here that do do that. You know what I'm saying? That do work. But maybe you ain't putting in the ambition. Maybe you ain't saying the right shit. Maybe you not you. Maybe you trying to sound like somebody else. Cause I ain't, bro. It's a blessing. Hell yeah. But I, bro, I worked. I worked, bro. You could ask anybody around me, nigga. I, I worked, bro. My mom will tell you. I've been doing this shit. 